Municipal Transportation Agency, Board of Directors, and Parking Authority Commission to order. Good afternoon, directors, staff, and members of the public. We thank you for joining us. This meeting is being held in hybrid format, occurring in person at City Hall Room 400, broadcast live on SFGov TV and by phone. The phone number to use is 415-655-0001, access code 2662-744-8044. When the item is called, um, dial star 3 to enter the queue. Commenters will have up to two minutes to provide comment, unless otherwise noted by the chair. Please speak clearly. Ensure you're in a quiet location and turn off any TVs or computers around you. Please note that a time limit of 10 minutes of remote public comment on each action or discussion item has been set in notice for this meeting. We thank you for your cooperation. Places you at item number two, roll call. Director Heminger. Here. Heminger present. Director Henderson. Here. Henderson present. Director Hinsey. Present. Hinsey present. Director So. Here. So present. Chair Eakin. Here. Eakin present. Director Kikina is not expected today. For the record, I note that Director Hinsey is attending the meeting remotely. Director Hinsey is reminded that she must appear on camera throughout the meeting and in order to speak or vote on any items. Places you on item number three. The ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. The chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any person responsible for the ringing or use of a cell phone or other similar sound-producing electronic devices. Places you in item number four, approval of minutes for the October 17 regular meeting. Thank you. Colleagues, are there any changes to the October 17 minutes? Okay, seeing none, we'll open public comment for anyone in the room. And please go to remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. No speakers. Okay. Close public comment. Is there a motion? So move. Second? Second. Okay, that's going to be item nine. Yes. All right, so we have a motion and a second. Please call the roll. On the motion to approve the minutes, Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So. Aye. So aye. Chair Eakin. Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. The minutes are approved. Places you on item number five, communications. I have none. Moving on. Item number six, introduction of new or unfinished business by board members. Hey. Uh, colleagues, as I mentioned at our last meeting, I'd like to take a little bit of time this afternoon to uh, reflect on the contributions of our departing colleague, Director Yukutiel. I think I see in the audience. Um, Director Yukutiel joined the board in January of 2021. He's been a champion for joyful public spaces like JFK Promenade and Golden Gate Park, a safe, connected, citywide network for active transportation, which he's banged his fist multiple times over, and we hope to get done next year, uh, and transparency and fairness in our towing policies. He's also been a voice elevating the need for us to treat our transit riders as customers and make sure that our stations and stops are clean, and uh, pleasant places to be. He's also brought his significant background and experience as a small business owner to his service on this board, bringing a critical perspective, especially as our small businesses in San Francisco have faced so many challenges through the COVID pandemic. I've personally enjoyed getting to know and serving with Director Yakutiel and watching him work tirelessly to build community in San Francisco to create a space where bright minds can come together and really grapple with the pressing issues of our time. And just watching him juggle so many balls at the same time uh, with grace, style, warmth, humor, 
and joy, and not to mention his unforgettable disco ball Vespa helmet. Manny, you will leave a significant hole in this board, and I know I'm personally in the denial phase myself still of this loss. We salute you for your public service. We know you will continue to do great things on behalf of this city that you love so much, and whatever form that looks like going forward, and we are so glad that you are now and you will continue to be a part of the city family. So thank you for your service. Uh, Secretary Silva, if you could maybe present Director Coutil with his gift, and then we'll open it up for our colleagues to provide other <laughs> remarks. <laughs> If I know Director Gutierrez, he's got a speech, but um, I'm going to open up to my colleagues, my other colleagues first, if they'd like to say a few words, and then we can come to you. Uh, Director, Hemier. I'm starting. Go for it. Manny, I think the sign is appropriate uh, <laughs> because there is a Manny's way, uh, and you've shown it to us. Uh, I think the way you participate in the meetings with uh, such humor and such compassion uh, for your fellow San Franciscans uh, is really commendable. Um, I'm going to miss you as a seatmate. Uh, when you decide to run for something finally, just let us know because uh, I'm going to be one of your strongest supporters. And, you know, city government can't afford to lose people like you. Uh, we got to get them back in some new capacity uh, when the time is right. Uh, I know, as uh, our chairman said, you've got a lot on your plate um, here and abroad, uh, and I wish you only the best. Manny, I have to say, I have to confess that um, when the mayor asked me to consider joining this board, you were one of my reasons. I say yes. <laughs> and. Um, because I really just love the way you interact with our communities, representing our small businesses, and also the passion and the personal approach that you gave to everyone. It's just refreshing uh, for a city government as a commissioner and uh, board. So I know that you're not gonna go away. It, this is free you up to do a lot more um, more meaningful things that you wanted to pursue in your career and your personal life. So I wanted to say I miss you a lot sitting between me and Director <laughs> Hamminger, <laughs> passing note to each other. But <laughs> I really wish you the best of the best for the future, whatever you wanted to be. And thank you for your service. So as the most junior one here, I just want to thank you for the example that you've set and um, the voice that you've been for the business owners, um, for the community members. I think that it is really, really important um, to, to the community, the voice that you've given. And I, you know, one of the things about um, leadership is sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard it's sometimes you're not liked you know and sometimes in order to lead you have to be willing to step out there and not necessarily be liked but 
be that leader. And I feel like you have found a way to find the right intersection between um, having folks love you very much and also um, leading us in a, the right direction. And so I really do want to offer my support to the endeavors that you have coming up. And I appreciate the example that you set and the, the doors that you've opened for us as commissioners and for, for this agency, really. So best wishes. And um, I'll hand it back over to my to the chair. Thank you, colleagues. Um, Director Hinsey, I'm just creating some space in case you want to yeah. chime in. I guess, I guess that leaves me all the class to uh, bid our um, esteemed co uh, former colleague farewell here. You know, um, Director Yucutio and I were um, co-nominated together. We, we, we've literally been in um, these trenches together. And um, you will be leaving a hole on this board. You represent a very um, <clears throat> unique community, and you brought a voice to really be able to try to unify um, all different communities and all different perspectives. And, and that is the spirit of unification that we need in city government um, in general. So I, 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 I know that you're not going far, um, as our colleagues have said, and I know that this will free you up to um, impact the city and, and the world in other ways. And we, I think we all look forward um, to hearing what those ways will be. And I know that you will um, also continue to hold this board accountable for uh, really the values that you stand for and um, continue to apply the nanny's way in whatever <laughs> other area of the, of the um, corners of the world that you choose to have an impact in. So I know that we'll all be in touch, keep you in touch as friends. So and thank you for your service. Thank you. Director Yukutio, the floor is yours. Do I have two minutes? <laughs> well, thank you very much, colleagues, I guess former colleagues. Uh, I started on the Small Business Commission, and I think I started about six or nine months before the pandemic, uh, and then in the middle of the pandemic was brought to you all. And like I said in the last meeting, it has been a huge honor to especially sit next to Steve Heminger for uh, so long and learn so much from you. Uh, you've been such a great mentor to me. Um, yeah, I guess the city really, this, this city really took me in, gave me a, a home. And just to be a, a young person and, a, and a, a business owner and an openly gay person and to sit uh, where you all sit. Oh my God, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge honor because this the city is all I have. So 
we do great work here. And I think as I look back on the years that I've spent on this board, the memories that I will cherish the most are actually the sometimes uh, ungodly hour that I uh, had been called to visit and tour some of our facilities uh, to hand out what seems like the only breakfast burrito that we give to uh, employees at every single company event. Uh, but in seriousness, to meet the people who, some of whom have spent over 40 years, which is older than I am, uh, you know, making our agency work, waking up every morning in an unglamorous way uh, to do the work of moving the city forward. We have amazing people that work for us. Really, honestly, some of the greatest uh, public employ employees I've ever met. And so it was an honor to represent them up there. It was an honor to, uh, uh, to try to do the job well and yes, I think to bring a sense of unity to this work. Um, it made me sad sometimes sitting where you're sitting, seeing our city uh, seem so divided. To see neighbors yelling at neighbors, to see taxi drivers yelling at each other and seemingly at everyone else. Uh, and to see uh, us try to do some big, bold, exciting things and to, and to find the communities struggling to accept it. And I guess, if I could leave you with anything, it would just be that a reminder that there are much bigger problems out there than whether or not uh, there are barricades in the middle of the street or slightly off center, uh, and that we uh, need to see the bigger picture with some of our projects. Uh, and that my hope is that the public, when they come to speak to you, that they do so with a little bit more respect. It was really hard sitting up there and getting screamed at and yelled at and to have verbal tomatoes thrown at me and not be able to either respond back or just say, you know, I'm a person too. And I think for the public behind me and those listening, just remember that the folks that you're providing your comment to, they also uh, have feelings and uh, they're just trying to do their, their job. For the employees of our agency, uh, in particular the folks who are in our offices, I would love, our, I would love to see our agency be the agency of yes and the ag agency of let's try it. Uh, is that, am, I being, am I being walked off? Um, because what's clear to me is in this city, in our government, we do not create an incentive structure for our city employees to take risks. There are too many ways in which that risk taking can bite them in the butt. And I think we really need to start doing that. We really need to start incentivizing our employees, our bureaucrats, our leadership, to be willing to try things and see if they work, as opposed to being afraid of angering, whether it's the public or the communities, because uh, otherwise we're not going to continue to be the innovative city that we all want us to be. And finally, to you all, um, I know what it's like to sit there. I know how hard it is to make these decisions, and I know how sometimes it can feel like you are, in fact, a potted plant. And uh, my challenge to you is to remember our customers. Uh, our customers are the people who take Muni, of course, and we need to keep our system clean and safe. And our customers are the people who are getting parking tickets and are getting their card towed in the middle of the night because they parked in the wrong place. Um, they deserve your attention, too. And so to constantly be thinking about how we treat our customers with love and respect um, and to try to do what's best for them. And finally, you. We didn't always agree on everything, but we always disagreed respectfully. And I feel very honored to 
uh, have been able to be in the trenches with you, to serve on this agency during a once in a century crisis and to see you really rise to the occasion. It wasn't easy um, and no matter what you do from here on out and how the agency continues to grow and progress, I hope you know that uh, you did something really special by pulling us out of such a dark time and doing it with such honor and such diligence and such clear commitment uh, to this city. So congratulations on doing that. And uh, thank you everyone very much. I appreciate this. And uh, I guess I'll continue to try to do my work in the Manny's way. <laughs> thank you, Manny. Other items of oh, new or unfinished? We can take a photo with Manny's way here with us. Okay, we have a photographer here. Would yeah. It, Manny, can you come up here? Can we take a photo with you? <laughs> I guess maybe I'll just shoot from here. Yeah, maybe right up in the middle. Colleagues, are there other items of new or unfinished business for today? Okay, hearing none, we will open the item for public comment for anyone in the room. Okay, seeing none, please open remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Speaker, can you talk closer to your mic, please? I'd recommend we go to the next caller. It sounds like they're listening to the meeting on the computer. Next speaker. Ah, darn it. I'm unlocking my big wheels. <laughs> hey, um, well, I'd sing it if I were very good at it. Speaker, you know, you've been oh, unmuted. Boy, <laughs> oh, oh, Manny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Um, we will miss you so much having you up there. You did wonders for the board and um, for speaking. <laughs> What so many of us were thinking, especially on December 6, 2022, um, when we boldly called um, for everyone to lay down their arms and for the agencies to do what's right and connect our city um, for people outside of cars. And I thank you. And I thank all of the, the joy, the joy that you would bring to the meeting and your patience and your humor 
um, you are one of a kind, and I'm very sorry um, that you're leaving so soon, but I know that you are doing great things in this world and will continue to do so, especially for our city. And so, thank you. Um, thanks, Maddie. Bye. Thank you. Let's return back to the first speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Sure, you can, I, I, sounds like they don't know they've been unmuted. And that's the last caller. Last caller, okay. We will then go ahead and close public comment and please call the next item. Places you at item number seven, the director's report. Good afternoon, directors. Got a lot of items covered today, but first and foremost, I want to bring up uh, Transit Director Julie Kirschbaum and our CFN, no, just Transit Director Julie Kirschbaum, mm -hmm. uh, who will be offering a special re recognition. I, I happen to know that Bree is biking here, so if she tries to blame Muni, don't, <laughs> don't take it. Um, I, I'm excited to be here to present two people that I think really embody the agency of yes that Manny was just talking about. Um, oh, I was just giving you a hard time. Um, I'm not one of the people of yes. Do you want to start? Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> good afternoon, board members. My name is Bree. I'm the CFO of the MTA. And um, as Julie said, we're very excited to be here to um, present a recognition award to Diana Hammonds, who is the Senior Manager of Revenue Collections and Sales. Her team is responsible for gathering up all of the money in all of the fair media that make both parking and transit run, um, as well as Leslie Bornfield, who plans special events for transit. And for me, this is a particularly special moment because Diana hired me in 2006 to my first job um, at the MTA. Um, Leslie has done, I think, a masterful job of improving both our internal and our external communications around special events. And especially as the city recovers, there's been such an attention to special events. Um, but I'm particularly excited about the way that she partnered and collaborated with Diana, um, particularly around Outside Lands. Outside Lands is a 75,000 person event. It's essentially like having four Chase Center events all, all over three days. And we, for a long time, have really wanted to have the same model that we have for Chase, where your ticket to the event is your ticket to, to Muni. And in this case, it will now be your bracelet to Outside Lands is your ticket to Muni. Um, and uh, Leslie and Diana worked really closely with the Outside Events team to understand the experience that the event wanted to deliver, to review the lessons learned from previous years, uh, to really figure out where we could commit, but also making sure that we didn't overcommit. Um, and as a result, we were able to get agreement on this really um, 
exciting um, event and, and partnership. Also special thanks to the Outside Land producer, Another Planet uh, Entertainment for helping us reach this milestone. And just, you know, in the same way that Bree and I are constantly collaborating as we move this forward, we also wanted to celebrate where we're seeing our team uh, collaborate. Yeah, is that it? So, and that is all we have. Well, let's, we've got to give them the voice. Come on up, come on up. <laughs> everybody. Uh, nice to be here. Thank you so much um, to you and uh, to Julie and uh, my manager, Sean, for this recognition. It's truly a pleasure um, to be part of throwing these events that make San Francisco what it is and to introduce transit as part of the integral experience of coming to, um, to and from all of those events. Um, I just also want to recognize my um, colleagues from dispatching, um, Demetrius Jackson, the operators who were out there with incredible enthusiasm um, under the leadership of Anthony um, over here from T50U, and um, oh, and also Edward Dennis and our incredible, incredible field team that supports uh, the operators on the field during this event. So thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Board of Directors. Um, thank you uh, for this recognition. Thank you, Bree um, and Julie, for this. Um, I think Julie's taking a little pleasure in this because she knows how uncomfortable <laughs> I am in this moment. Um, uh, but I, I do want to say I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've been given in this agency to work on such special projects that are so important to the city. Um, but also, the space that is created for me to be able to do that is really um, the amazing team that I have um, that um, I work with, including Fred Shouten, our revenue operations manager, uh, Juan Pena, the uh, acting manager of our citation and permit section, and uh, Emmett Nelson, um, who's our program development manager and manages all of our discount programs. Um, so I'm very grateful for this. Um, thank you all. Thank you, Director Tumlin, the board. Thank you for your service and, and congratulations on your recognition. And thank you also to leadership for continuing to make spaces to specifically acknowledge the contributions of staff. I think it's important to educate the board and the public about the meaningful contributions of the members of this community. Back to you, Director Tumlin. Thank you. And I do just want to acknowledge that so much of the real work that happens in this agency goes unreported. And certainly the people who are doing that real work, uh, people like Leslie and Diana, exemplify the hardworking, dedicated staff of this agency that make me so proud to be working for it. So thank you, team. Uh, all right, uh, lots to cover. Um, I hope all of you know that there's this little event next week called APEC. Um, we're starting to see some of the preparatory impacts 
Uh, for most city agencies, it has been all hands on deck the last couple of weeks, and I really uh, want to thank Tony Henderson, who is our command commander-in-chief uh, for organizing everyone at the agency, uh, and Julie Kirschbaum, who's been leading at the executive level, level, and the hundreds and hundreds of people who are working to try to make this event a success. Um, this is a pretty big deal for San Francisco. This is the biggest international event that the city has hosted since the United Nations Charter was signed in San Francisco in 1945. President Biden will be here, along with Chinese Pre President uh, Xi Jinping, uh, and world leaders from around the Pacific Rim. The main impacts of the event are going to be felt, felt uh, starting Monday, November 13th through Sunday, November 19th, and will be mainly concentrated in the areas surrounding the Moscone Center and at the top of Knob Hill. But there are events all over San Francisco. And so there will be traffic uh, impacts associated with motorcades, and many of the events are in flux. Um, so our team is responding to constant changes. If world leaders suddenly want to have a new get-together at the last minute, that is something that our team will figure out how to accommodate. Um, it has also resulted in some pretty significant transit impacts, and I really want to thank both the transit team, but especially the United States Secret Service, for taking the needs of San Francisco neighborhood residents and small businesses seriously while also maintaining the security for all of these world leaders. So our team has been able uh, to deal with the fact that Moscone Yerba Buena Station on the Central Subway will need to be closed. So we will be rerouting the T3rd trains via the Embarcadero into the Market Street subway and merging it with the K trains, just like we did before the Central Subway opened. So that's a familiar pattern. We're also really grateful that we'll be able to run uh, a very frequent shuttle train from Powell Street Station and Union Square Station straight to Chinatown and back about every five minutes, um, making sure that Chinatown stays very connected to all of the events happening uh, around APEC. There'll be a number of bus reroutes. All of those transportation details can be found on our website at sfmta.com APEC. That's sfmta.com APEC. We are updating that website more than daily, given the pace of changes that we are receiving from the Secret Service. Um, and on that website, you can also sign up for text or email updates to better understand how to be able to get around San Francisco, whether it is by driving or paratransit or walking or biking or muni. Uh, we'll also have uh, information available in over 100 languages via 311 um, and have recruited broadly for volunteers uh, who will be serving as ambassadors at all key places throughout the city, including throughout the transit system to not only help San Franciscans get around, but to also help foreign visitors get around um, in over a dozen languages. Um, so we are, uh, we, are, we, are, we are optimistically ready, um, and we know that all of our field teams will be able to adapt to changing circumstances. So this is a, uh, a really fantastic time to be in San Francisco, given the number of activities that will be going on. This is not the best time to be driving in San Francisco. So please do take Caltrain or BART or the ferries or Muni in order to get around. 
Um, the next topic uh, I'm sure you've also seen in the news, um, the uh, California Department of Motor Vehicles suspended cruise permits to operate autonomous vehicles without safety drivers in San Francisco. And the California Public Utilities Commission followed up shortly uh, after that ruling uh, in order to uh, uh, no longer permit crews to operate commercial service uh, with a safety driver. Um, we do not yet know what conditions DMV or CPUC will place on crews and what it will take uh, for their uh, permits to be reinstated, uh, but we are tracking closely. We also uh, continue to believe that autonomous vehicles have the potential to produce significant benefits for the transportation system, particularly around safety. But this confirms our belief that autonomous vehicles need to meet very specific safety thresholds in order to be granted the ability to expand incrementally by demonstrating that they can operate safely under all conditions um, before being granted limitless expansion rights. Uh, next up, I want to talk about state funding distribution. Uh, on October 25th, uh, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission staff presented their recommendations for allocating the $1.1 billion that was allocated um, by the state government for additional transit relief. We are grateful that the MTC staff recommendation is for the SFMTA to receive more money than we were expecting, following upon the state's guidance in order to prioritize need and ridership in the distribution uh, of that funding. Um, as you know, the SFMTA carries about 47% of all transit riders in the nine-county Bay Area. Uh, the, uh, this uh, money is very, very welcome. Uh, it, however, does not completely close um, our fiscal cliff situation, but rather postpones the need to cut muni service into 2026 while we continue to work on identifying additional revenue sources to close the gap and ideally to get on the ballot in November of 2026. Um, there's a whole lot more that we are collaborating with our other transit agencies, MTC and the state legislature on as well, in order to uh, bring all the region's transit operators into integrated service um, and to make sure that we're able to find a path out of our fiscal situation. The next topic is also related to uh, MTC. Also on October 24th, MTC awarded an additional $16 million for Bay Wheels bike share e-bike expansion. Uh, as you uh, well know, uh, e-bikes are a miraculous tool for San Francisco, effectively making our very hilly city flat for people who ride bikes. Uh, about 80% of the region-wide Bay Wheels program um, uh, trips are trips in San Francisco. Uh, and with this investment, uh, Baywell's prices will be able to go down. Both the annual and monthly membership fees will be reduced. Um, and the per minute fees will also be reduced while we expand the e-bike e fleet throughout San Francisco. Um, next up, uh, we are very glad to announce that uh, last week, uh, we hosted a pretty interesting and significant international conference. Uh, the UITP, which is the International Association of Public Transit, 
uh, had its 39th annual trolleybus uh, meeting uh, here in San Francisco. Uh, more than 45 visitors from around the globe, uh, agencies that operate electric trolley buses from uh, several different continents, um, came here to share their experiences and also to learn from us. Uh, I'm particularly proud to point out uh, the SFMTA's Bhavan Khatri, um, who is here. Uh, Bhavan has been leading our electric uh, bus program, um, and more importantly, has been coordinating with the other four remaining electric trolley bus operators in North America in order to ensure a strong manufacturing market as well as shared learning among our agencies. In many ways, for cities like San Francisco, Seattle, and Vancouver that have really clean, low-cost, hydropower electricity and steep hills, the trolley bus is the perfect vehicle. Um, our San Francisco trolley buses pull power directly from Hetch Hetchy into powerful hill climbing engines that don't require that we carry two tons of batteries up and down our hills. Um, and so we're glad uh, for the opportunity in order to continue to invest um, in our uh, trolley bus system. Uh, so this North American, uh, or this uh, uh, global conference, uh, we are able to uh, show off um, all of our facilities to people around the world. Uh, we are also proud to announce that um, our own chief maintenance officer, Charles Drain, was elected chair of the International Trolleybus Committee. Um, and uh, it gave us interesting practice hosting a small but uh, complex event, uh, for which I really want to thank uh, my chief of staff, uh, Victoria Wise. Um, next up, I want to uh, also celebrate that on October 23 and 26, um, our Office of Racial Equity and Belonging um, hosted a Community Connections Racial Equity event um, at the Southeast Community Center uh, in the Bayview. This was done in collaboration with several other city departments, um, welcoming uh, residents and any members of the public to understand um, how to build skills, how to network, how to increase access to city jobs um, and services, including um, how youth can engage with the city. Uh, we had more than um, 90 people uh, in uh, uh, attendance uh, for a whole variety of panel um, topic events. And finally, uh, I want to show a fantastic little video uh, that uh, the team put together. Uh, in honor of the bus rodeo uh, that was held on October 28th uh, at the Cow Palace. This is uh, a annual event that was suspended uh, during COVID and we're so glad is back. Um, we had our transit operators navigate a very, very challenging and complex uh, course out in the parking lot. Uh, and you can play the, the video. Oh, but it's just music. All right. All right. <laughs> Uh, our transit operators navigated a very complex course. Our maintenance officers uh, competed in a whole variety of technical events where they had to solve problems with engines. Uh, our parking control officers competed in their three-wheeled gopher vehicles, uh, navigating tight-timed courses while having their colleagues yell at them. Um, and very importantly, Director So got behind the wheel of a bus uh, and, uh, and the orange, orange cones who were sacrificed for her experience, I'm sure, uh, will, uh, will be forever mourned. Uh, we're very proud to announce as well that the uh, first place winner of the operators event, Mohammed Ahmed, and the maintainers event, uh, Austin Yang. Oh, there you are. There she is. 
Uh, we'll be representing the SFMTA at the International Rodeo in April 2024 in Portland, Oregon. Uh, congratulations as well to our second place manager's winner, Director Lydia, Lydia So. <laughs> Lydia, did you want to uh, add anything? <laughs> wow, thank you very much. I love that video. Um, to be precise, I, I, I think I spared the orange cone, but the barrels were sacrificed. <laughs> you know, really miserably, but <laughs> I was really, I, I wanted to say um, I have oh, tremendous sure. respect and also the patience that my teacher, Katrina Brown, taught me and also everybody around those cones and barrels were really carefully making sure that they might need to adjust it as I, I moved along. <laughs> um, it was great. I love that experience because it does... Um, enlightened me a deeper hands-on understanding on these challenges that our operators and our mechanics face every day. Pulling up and parallel park in every stop that you're within that 12 inches to the curb is not easy. Man, I gotta tell you, <laughs> I, I think I was two feet away. So it was, it was a really good experience and thank you for everyone's uh, patience with me that day. I think I took, I don't know what I did. I don't know how I did, but I, I really appreciate that. Um, and I think that I have the honor to meet the only Asian American female mechanics who actually win the award. And you see her on the slide. It was just melted in my heart to see, you know, woman, we can do it. It's really hardcore doing the mechanics work. And I also met um, one of the longest uh, standing operator staffed, um, and her, uh, his number is like three digits. So I think he started working for Muni before I was born. So, <laughs> and this is really echoing what our, um, I still want to call him uh, director, Yukutio. Um, he said that we have uh, so many Muni operators and our staff actually been in our agency for over many, many decades. And they are, they are the machine and they are, the reason why we keep San Francisco going. So I have a lot deeper understanding uh, in all these cases that Susan in the future might be bringing up to me and I have a deeper understanding of what they are about. Um, okay, thank you. I take up a lot of airtime. Um, I'd like to also take this opportunity to thank you, our director Jeff Tumlin and also our staff who had been basically really um, they, they try all they can and do the best they can to work with our secret services and work with our Chinatown leadership and our uh, Chinatown a D3 supervisor, our board president, Aaron Peskin, and also a lot of over a dozen of key stakeholders for Chinatown merchants and community groups. We had conducted numerous meetings and um, communication is key and I really appreciate everyone under the leadership of Jeff Tumlin. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to Hoel Ramos, Tony Henderson, Nihama Rogerson, Jesse Lane, Lulu Feliciano. These are the team that actually bridge the gap between our language barrier to a lot of Chinese communities, um, not just within Chinatown, but the ones that actually goes to Chinatown that, that they are really, really worried about if they can, uh, will be blocked. So I'm really appreciated. And on behalf of our community, I really 
uh, wanted to say thank you to our agency and these dedicated staff. Thank you. Are there other questions from my colleagues on the director's report or comments? Director Hemminger. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Jeff, I wanted to ask you about two numbers in your report. Um, the first one has to do with the uh, ongoing saga of the fiscal cliff. Um, and I believe you cited a date of 2026, which as a result of getting more revenue than you expected from MTC, we could sort of push the envelope out that far? Yes, but not without risk. Uh, as we'll be discussing at length in the upcoming budget workshop, uh, one of the challenges that we face is the question about the likelihood of winning significant new operating funding at the ballot in November of 26. So uh, if we're highly confident that we're going to win there, then we can keep maintaining this level of service under the expectation that we can find something to cover that one-year gap. If there's a risk of not winning significant new operating funding at the ballot, um, then it changes the risk equation significantly about when we would need to start trimming service in order to live under the resources that we have today. I mean, uh, candidly, I, I don't think there can be much doubt that there's significant risk that we can't pass a measure such as that. It would be unprecedented to do so uh, in the Bay Area or probably anywhere else. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get a clearer picture of the variables that are driving this. And obviously one of them is we lost ridership, which means we lost fair revenue during the pandemic. Our ridership, though, is back up in the 70% range, isn't it? Uh, it's just below 70%, okay. uh, and our fair revenue lags behind that by about 10%. And then there's the general fund. Um, and is that the bigger thing we need to worry about? Uh, for example, I mean, with two more years under our belt, do we get over 70%? Do we get up to 80 what, what What's your forecast there? So the... Expectation for the general fund is a decline in general fund resources, both in real dollars, but particularly compared to how our operating expenses are rising. So uh, both are a threat. And, you know, again, these will be numbers that we will be presenting to you in great detail soon. Uh, in fact, we've been talking about how how to present this complexity in a way that is understandable, not only to you all as experts, but also to the general public. Well, and I, I know we've gone back and forth a little bit uh, about the nomenclature we use to describe this, um, but I mean, my experience has been that transit has always lived hand to mouth, um, and there's always been an operating shortfall to deal with. Uh, obviously, nothing as severe as this, so I don't want to minimize the challenge we're facing. Um, but I think it's important to show people in the context of a system that has always required heavy subsidy and always somehow finds a way uh, to make things work, uh, we've got a challenge on top of that. But it's not as if this industry or this system is unused to challenges. It's sort of lived in a challenging budget environment for most of its life. 
That is right. However, one of the things that we are trying to do is to not gut maintenance in order to balance our books. So the revenue shortfalls that we have faced in the past, we have papered over by gutting maintenance and therefore degrading the quality of service over time. We are trying to reverse that and actually invest in proper maintenance of the system. I believe that the public has responded very strongly to our emphasis on particularly cleanliness and reliability. Um, and so I don't want to get back into a cycle of gutting maintenance in order to paper. No, over no, uh, we certainly don't. Um, and I'll tell you personally, I, I, I really have not seen the system in as good a shape as it is uh, for a long time. Now, part of that is we don't have as many crowds, and we'd like to fix that problem. But uh, I, I think you're to be commended for holding the line on that. Um, and I know we and others can be tempted to say, oh, just this one little new operating expense. Um, and uh, so I appreciate that. Um, and I'll save the rest of my questions for the workshop, which is going to be when? January Julie. 30th, the, the board workshop? I yes. believe it's January 30th. Okay, thank you. And uh, the second question is, I, I hope, a lot shorter, uh, both the question and the answer maybe. Um, about bike share, uh, and here I forgot the number. Uh, what you said? How much of the bike share patronage is in San Francisco? Uh, more than eighty percent of the region-wide Bay Wheels trips are right. in San Francisco. And look, I would expect it to be the lion's share. But do you have a a sense and evaluation about why Oakland and San Jose aren't doing better? I mean, it's partly land use and it's partly transportation. San Francisco has significantly higher density and therefore vastly more people within walking distance of a bike share station. And in addition, the investments that we've made uh, in uh, bike infrastructure in our neighborhoods is also paying off. You know, while we may have lost um, commuter bike riders, like we've lost commuter transit riders, uh, those trips have significantly increased in San Francisco neighborhoods, which is right. why we're committed to continuing those investments through our active community strategy. Well, and as you pointed out, I mean, the fact that electric bikes sort of flatten the hills of San Francisco, you know, San Jose's already flat. So <laughs> <laughs> we're sort of giving ourselves another advantage uh, by changing our geography. And I sure hope the debate that we're going to have about the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge uh, takes that into account uh, because there it's as if we're going to be pedaling across the bridge and in many respects uh, it'll be a different kind of rider experience. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Other colleagues, do you have any questions on the director's report? Okay. Seeing none, we will open to public comment on the items covered in the director's report for anyone in the room. Good afternoon. I keep my glasses. I'm a bit tired. Uh, I, do, I do not think this is the future, what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Uh, because the future, you see, is to make everybody happy. So uh, it means that bikes, yes, okay, fine. We can use bikes. But, you know, San Francisco is not Amsterdam. It's not. So. Uh, it's pretty clear that uh, pushing this agenda for bikes is to limit the ability for people to move. Because then uh, you can have, 
you have limited stuff you can put on your bike. So since the future is, is about no more weaponization of anything, including communication, like the phone, you see, uh, you have to work for that. I, I don't know how to put it. I'm sorry. I'm like... Hands on decks, for example, in the bus, you could put jokes instead of bad uh, harassment is unacceptable. Yes, we know that. But so don't harass people with that. Put a joke. I don't know, I'll get one here. What's the difference between a surgeon wearing a mask and somebody else? I don't know, it's a fun joke to me. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to be the, the bad guy coming or giving you bad news, but uh, what you're talking about is not the future. I guarantee you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, directors, Director Tumlin. Uh, I'm Mark Gleason. I'm uh, here speaking on behalf of uh, Teamsters Joint Council 7 and our affiliates and our coalition partners about the issue around uh, autonomous vehicles, which was reported. Uh, this year, our trade union partners have been in the forefront of the call for safety regulation, regulations of autonomous vehicles. Unfortunately and tragically, a number of incidents this year have occurred that alarm city residents, alarm first responders, and finally the Department of Motor Vehicles, which is charged with the ultimate regulatory oversight of AV. Cruise has now been shut down by the DMV, as reported. The behavior of the other prominent operator, Waymo, unfortunately resulted in the death of a dog earlier this year. We applaud City Attorney David Chu for taking the lead on this issue, challenging the state decision that allowed for this experiment with street safety to be foisted upon metropolitan, resident, metropolitan residents throughout California. Indeed, the mayor of Los Angeles and other prominent elected officials are following our city attorney's lead in calling out the dangerous aspects of tech experimentation on our roadways. Under the circumstances, AV experimentation on our streets does not align with this agency's core values in our opinion, including the improvement, expansion, and resource retention of public transit. Diverse agencies and departments of our city are aligning with the leadership of our elected representatives in questioning and challenging the driverless autonomous experiment happening on our streets. We strongly urge the SFMDA, MTA, to join our city's leadership and essential agencies in this effort. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, Stacey Randecker. Wow, what a fun, fun meeting. Um, so uh, I'll go backwards. Um, I will, thanks to the Teamsters for highlighting that the AV issue is not actually a safety issue, it's a labor issue. That is what is at, at heart here. Um, and um, I wish that the agency would be more broad-minded, especially when I see this kick as the mechanic over here, we will need, we have so many jobs to do, no matter about who's doing the driving, and we need the city to be safer. Um, the, um, and we need to not pay out so much in lawsuits for what has happened through injury or death due to uh, our muni drivers. 
Um, APEC wayfinding, um, I'm, I'm just hoping that, um, and, and I would say this to every city agency that's all, that's getting all, you know, cleaned up for our guests and stuff, is just to take some of it and make sure that we do it for our own as well, that are still here after the event, that we have it clean and wonderful and able, people able to find their way and make it easy to, to take transit. Um, um, the bike share, um, I'm thrilled to, that we'll be finally getting more money. Um, and as a very frequent rider throughout the Bay Area, I would say that everyone drives in San Jose. And, um, and both the, um, the maintenance of the classic bikes, the non-electric bikes, because they haven't had electric bikes in those markets, um, it, it makes them like very less attractive to take. Um, and then, yay, trolley buses. I'm so glad that we're sort of coming around on trolley buses. It's a much, you, you said it beautifully, Director Tumlin, like that, that is the way. It is the most efficient thing that we are getting this beautiful renewable power and it's, we don't need the big batteries. So, yay, I'm glad we're on the bus. Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Pete Wilson. I'm Executive Vice President for TW Local 250A. Lydia, congratulations. Uh, Katrina is an excellent coach. But it's just a little bit of warning. I know we are looking for operators. If you come and you pull two feet away from the curb, you will get written up. So you have to practice that, okay? Uh, Director Tumlin, it's going to be quite the challenge uh, this next week with all these people come. Um, I've uh, driven, one night I drove uh, the one California and uh, President Obama was in town, of course, staying at the Fairmont. And so we had to reroute and go around and do all that. You're having, it's gonna be like 20 presidents coming in and reroutes and all that. And what I'm asking, um, as my way over here from Flynn Division, I saw uh, an inspector sitting in the truck watching probably the nine and the 14, 14R go by. And I'm like, hmm, what are they doing? I wonder, sitting in that truck, checking times. I know our computers can check their times. So one thing that I didn't get that much when I was operating is very many inspectors coming up and saying, hey, do you need some help? Is there any way I can help you? What's going on? And I understand that it's Stressful time, probably a stressful time for you, even though you seem to handle stress pretty well. Uh, stressful time for the managers, supervisors, and everybody. I'm just asking for patience. You know, I'm asking for the supervisors. Just because somebody's 20 minutes late, half an hour late, you know, your team, uh, the schedulers probably did a great job of trying to adapt uh, the schedules, and we don't know what it's going to be like. It's, we haven't had it since 1945, and that was 1945. So. I would just appreciate if you could pass it on down and Julie could pass it on down to people. Just please be patient. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy. So thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, board members. Luke Bornheimer. Um, related to the cruise disaster, I would love to just pass on a com comment in case the CEO of Cruise, Kyle Voigt, is listening, GM board members. GM is the parent company of Cruise or other venture capitalists who are investing in autonomous vehicles, we have an underfunded transportation agency. And rather than figuratively lighting money on fire to fund crews, they could help fund SFMTA. So I would encourage those venture capitalists to look at SFMTA and the city and maybe invest that money to help us build a better transportation system. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other speakers in the room? This is for the director's report. Comments on items in the director's report, item seven. Okay, seeing none, please open the remote. 
At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. This is Herbert Weiner. Uh, my concern is that we have more trolleys because trolleys, as has been pointed out, are a good system of transportation, and that should the trolleys should also reflect the density of the city. So that should be part and parcel of adding more buses to the fleet. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. I just want to first say that it was a really nice tribute and uh, honor that you gave to uh, Manny Yacutio uh, uh, for, for his service and for the ideas he brought to the board. So thank you for uh, how you uh, handled his departure. Uh, I want to um, talk about APEC. I think it's important that you, you uh, keep the taxi staff informed and educated on, on what's happening and to, create, and, to, and to let us know where you're going to put the temporary taxi zones in a timely manner and to have them. Also, there's a problem. 801 Howard and all the housing behind uh, on the south of Moscone Center uh, has disabled people. So the least you could do is, is vet the, uh, most of the uh, ramp drivers so that they have access to these buildings. So people in wheelchairs should not be put out because of this event. So I beg you to make sure that the ramp taxis have access to these buildings that house disabled people within the closed off area. Thank you very much. Thank you. No additional speakers. Okay, close public comment. Please call the next item. Places you on item number eight, the Citizens Advisory Council report. We have no report. Places you on item number nine, general public comment. Members of the public may address the board of directors on, matter, on matters that are within the board's jurisdiction, um, but not on today's calendar. And I do have some speaker cards. Anthony Ballister, Fred, um, M. Mark Gleason. Madam Chair, directors, Director Tumlin. Uh, my name is Anthony Ballister. I am president of Transport Workers Union Local 258. And uh, the first thing I want to say that I work with Julie very well and work with Jeff very well. And of course, there are things that we disagree with, and that's why I'm here. Of course, I know that you received the emails I've sent. I appreciate that, and I know you read them. So the most important thing about uh, I'm, I'm here is about senior operators, like uh, Director Su so said that they've been here for 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years. Our members uh, don't go on vacation for two, three years, four years at a time. So when they do have an opportunity to go on vacation, they go for six, seven, eight weeks. Now the agency is holding them down just to four weeks after being here 15, 20 years. That's just disrespectful. And it's, it's always been past practice, and there's no limit on how many weeks can be taken in uh, city charter uh, a8440 or in our in our MOU uh, uh, section 13.5 uh, paragraph 170 
and they uh, the agency did not bargain in good faith, and they've continued this practice for quite a while. You know, I don't mean any disrespect to Julie or Jeff, but mid-level management are always telling us what they're going to do, and when we, we want to change something, they don't allow us. And this is the way management is going to act. While we're going to contract negotiations, we're going to have a hard time. So I, 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 you know, that's, that's the first thing I want to do. I want to, yeah, our senior operators to take time to go back to a home country, whether it's China or India. You know, they need that time. So I like that change. One more other thing, uh, another email that I sent is regarding this policy about TSs, supervisors, looking in, into bags, purses. I mean, do you going to allow uh, TSs, uh, managers, go to a woman's purse and look at her feminine hygiene products just because they want to check her phone? Just trust them. Their phone is off and, you know, and it's stolen. You know, you don't got to go into women's property and look in a bag, or even gentlemen's property. Thank you this so is much wrong. for your time. So I want to kill this before it gets going. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for your sharing your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, thank you so much uh, for allowing um, my public comment. Uh, I have a son at Lowell High School, and on our listserv, uh, we started talking about somebody said, has anybody else had problems with the bus skipping them on the 48? We are at the end of the 48, so we don't have problems with the bus skipping us, but we have a problem that it takes an hour and a half or maybe an hour and 45 minutes to get to school. The 48 also goes to Soda, it goes to Lincoln, it's skipping students on the way to school, it's taking 20, 30 minutes longer than it's supposed to. When this came up, people said, oh, I don't have that on the 48, but I've got it on the 23, I've got it on the 28, I've got it on the 44. So who do we want to get to, to, how do we want our students to get to school? Obviously, we want them to take the bus. Um, making that bus reliable, making it get there on time, um, making it have space for these students, it's critical. Um, and we would be happy, uh, a bunch of parents from Lowell would be happy to work with you guys. Um, we also know parents at Soda and Lincoln and other schools um, and come up with a list of, of routes that need attention. Um, and, and we'd love to help you make this better for our students. Thank you. Uh, if I may, I usually don't address the audience. Uh, so this is a very important issue to us. We have all of the data uh, okay. on our crowding and performance. Uh, one of the most important things that we all could do together is to work with the school district to stagger school start times. Uh, this has been uh, one of our greatest challenges, and our transit team is here who've been trying to work uh, with the school district so far without success. Um, as I hope you know, we are in the worst financial crisis in our yeah. agency's history. We've right. reallocated much of our downtown service mm -hmm. to augment uh, service to school, uh, but now we need help with scheduling because we, uh, we, have, a, we have a problem of success mm -hmm. with an unprecedented number of kids using Muni in order to get to school, which is great. Mm -hmm. It is problematic that they all need to get to school at exactly the same time. Right. I mean, the, the, the middle yeah. schools are... Sorry. We can't... We really engage in a okay back and sorry forth, well yeah anyway happy to to work with you guys about it thank you for raising that issue next speaker please I also have a speaker card for Stacy Randecker 
I, I'm one of those little moms too. Um, the uh, yeah, so whatever we can do, um, I know that there will be other people online also addressing this. But what I, it really, for me, is um, I I know that um, transit is our first priority here. We say it all the time. We say we're a transit first city. Um, but I'd, I'd really like us to think about when we're making decisions about um, how people get around um, that we take into consideration all the principles that are, that are transit first principles and that we let walking and biking also be viable options. Um, I am so concerned about all of the decisions that are made that are to preserve parking, to not annoy motorists, to make sure that everybody is, you know, okay and they get to park for free and every, every it's just, it's mind blowing when it is juxtaposed with the toll that is taken in injuries, in intimidation, in deaths on our streets of pedestrians, people just walking on the sidewalk and they're mowed down. People wanting, I, I, I can't let my 16-year-old son, we have, I have to think about him getting a driver's license. I don't want him to, but it is just not safe enough for him to bike. We have to do better. We have to make this. We have to actually give the lanes, give the space, give the budget to making transit sing, to making biking an option so that we keep and that we make it harder for drivers. I'm sorry. There's no other way around it. And our city needs it. Our planet needs it. Please do what you can to really be transit first. Thank you. Thank you. Are there other speakers in the room for general public comment? I do have this more speaker the... cards. Yeah, Lisi Huang, Lee Chen Li, Jenny, Wendy Liu, Lee Chung, Josephine. It's okay, uh, sir. You, you can go ahead. Okay. I wasn't quite sure how this works. It's my first time here at this board meeting. Uh, I'm Fred Mulheim. I'm a 50-year resident of the city and a long-term advocate, community advocate for City College of San Francisco. Uh, I love Muni. I use it every day. It takes me reliably where I need to go. I love the Van Ness corridor improvements. And I'm always behind getting vehicles off the streets when it makes sense. I'm here to share concerns about the Frida Kahlo quick build project with you that I'm hearing from all of the constituents at City College and from many surrounding neighborhoods. One, they feel that the project is going ahead way too fast, that their inputs haven't been sought out or listened to, particularly on the side of the college, which is now developing uh, the new steam building, the Diego Rivera Theater is going to be going in, and the college is going to be losing 1,100 spaces of parking with the Balboa Reservoir project. It's kind of the elephant in the room, is that it's a commuter school. Some of the students have to drive to get there. So we have to provide some parking for them. If you are, uh, and it's been said, well, it's only 50 parking spaces that are going to go away. But those are parking spaces that turn over multiple times a day. And um, students don't go there every day of the week. So it's affecting, taking educational opportunity away from hundreds of students. We also have concerns about increased 
back up on Frida Kahlo Way by moving bus stops from the curb into bus islands where the buses will be in the main traffic lane and traffic will have to stop behind them. We also feel... So that, that is your time. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Um, there are many points and thank you for your time and interest. Okay, thank you for your comment. Next speaker, please. Hello, Do we need a translation? So Thank Secretary, I'm sorry, directors. We didn't receive a request for um, translation services today. However, if we continue the comment and receive it, I can come back and provide you notes after this meeting. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Wendy, but my English is so-so. Uh, I can just a little bit. Okay. Uh, my family live uh, live together. When we buy uh, go grocery shopping, we uh, buy a lot of food for the week. We can do it. We our a car. I feel many business should have we we move parking for uh, many reasons. Uh, now I can find parking to do basic uh, grocery shopping. It create uh, undue uh, hardship. For my family, peace at angle parking and parking la la, uh, and moving bike uh, parking on the sidewalk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you can speak Cantonese or Mandarin if you would like to say the word again in your language. Whoever this one is. Oh, Lei Hao Yi Gong Fan Zhong Man, you like saying Good afternoon. My name is Lai Chen Li. I live in Chinatown. I say about the, the bus and the car. Chinatown very busy. Sometimes my son picked up me to check the doctor. The car turned the Chinatown, turned along, turned along. Half an hour, cannot find the parking. Sometimes one hour, very trouble. Uh, I hope so, yeah, open a lot the uh, parking. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Don't hold. Go away, Lindo. Neho. Go away. Hi, 
誒咧停車位同埋泊車位嘅問題。啊，我哋誒咧一個家庭係自代同一個家庭，個個又會上班，啊，週末又有靠佢哋啲仔女車去購買雜貨，所以咧我哋老人家咧又有七醫生。咁誒，如果係咁個問題咧，就係好唔方便。希望大家咧，希望領導關照下，開通疏通咧停車位同埋泊車位，方便我哋啲老人家同埋上班下班啲嗰啲人。Thank you. Thank you. Any other speakers in the room for general public comment? 誒、呃、誒，我係誒、呃，我個名係 Wendy， 我用中文講誒，公家誒，我係嚟自一個誒低收入嘅家庭。我平時嘅主要嘅交通工具，即係我屋企嘅人嘅主要交通工具咧，都係以誒嗰、呃那個誒誒、呃、主要嘅交通工具咧，就係誒誒以公交車為主嘅。咁咧，我平時咧好多時咧就喺度即係等嗰個公交車。咁我咧就體現嗰個系統上面嗰個時間咧，非常係唔準時嘅。嗰部車咧會即係嗰個系統咧會整嚟整去，走嚟走去，即係好唔準時咯。咁同埋咧有時等好耐，仲有咧就有個十號車同埋四十七號車係以前喺疫情前咧就係開嘅，因為我係住嗰個 area 嘅。而家呢兩部車咧係仲未有開通嘅，就唔知點解咯，即係俾我哋嗰個社區咧。造成咗好大嘅影響，仲有咧嗰啲誒嗰啲單車共享單車，佢哋咧就全部泊咗喺個路邊，嗰、那個停車位已經係好少噶啦。咁佢哋停咗喺嗰度咧，就佔用咗嗰個公共嘅交通嘅 parking 嘅度，可唔可以將呢個單車同埋即係移上去嗰、那個誒即係上面嗰度，即係嗰個 sidewalk 嗰度，唔好話停喺外邊嗰度咯，即係再佔咗個道路多啲 parking 咯。好多謝你哋，多謝。Thank you. Next speaker, please. This is non-agenda items, general public comment. Correct, yeah. Thank you so much. My name is Rex Ridgeway. I am with uh, Abraham Lincoln High School. And about an hour and a half ago, our assistant principal sent an uh, email, and I'll just quickly read it. I am uh, reaching out to you as one of the assistant principals of Abraham Lincoln High School. I have uh, CC'd Rex Ridgeway, that's me. Uh, the, the other assistant principal, Jordan Louie, uh, and forwarding this message that I sent to uh, Engardio's office regarding the frustrating uh, that continues with the 48. Not only is the 48 continuing to pass up our kids, but I myself uh, was a student, uh, have been passed up. So I won't read, read it. Basically, I met with them today. They asked me if I could rush down here, at least be a face again. You've seen me before. And I, I know you can't add a bus, but maybe uh, a longer bus, but we're really, really struggling with this. Uh, the term is pass-ups, and we're, we're continuing to, to, to deal with them. Any help would be <laughs> really appreciated. So that's why I'm here. Thank you. Thank you for flagging. Uh, someone else raised that today, and I believe our staff were able to talk to them in the hallway. Oh, so I don't okay. know if Director Kirschbaum or Kennedy are here, um, but we can maybe have them connect with you as well. Next speaker, please.
Hi, my name is Julia Toscano, and I'm here to talk about um, the parking uh, restrictions um, in nearby SFSU, San Francisco State University. Um, so I, as a student of San Francisco State University, I live in the Park Merced Apartments right across the street, and I have $5,000 worth of parking citations um, because I was unsuccessfully able to receive a permit from the city so I could park in front of my own home. Um, they required a uh, utility bill, which is split between my roommates, so it's not in my name. I offered a proof of address uh, from the post office. I was offering other various forms of um, proof of address, but it was denied. Um, my, uh, I think $5,000 just for parking in front of my own home as a student is just ridiculous. It's outrageous, the parking restrictions in San Francisco, just to go to school, to go to the doctor, to go grocery shopping, to um, do normal daily life things. You have to pay so much just to park and, and just to live here in the city. and. Um, I was on my way to the hospital um, last week, and I was pulled over um, in Tenderloin um, between Hyde and Larkin, the highest homeless and uh, population in uh, crime in the entire city, by CHP, um, and they towed my car right then and there. So I no longer have a car, and it's all because of these outrageous parking restrictions. Um, so that's all I came here to speak on today. Thank you for sharing your experience. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Jenny and I drive my car every day. Um, we're living in San Francisco and somehow every house on my block has three to four cars. So parking in front of my own house is difficult almost every day, especially on Sunday when everybody is home. Um, I'm just asking for maybe more side angle parking. Like I feel like a spot in the big sunset streets could fit like two or three side angled or back in parking. And I feel like that would be very helpful to those of us who drive. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello again, my name is Pete Wilson, uh, TW Local 258. We represent fare inspectors. Uh, we are concerned about the way that fare inspectors are being treated. Um, I had some, uh, I was talking to some shop stewards who were fare inspectors, and they were asked by their managers uh, and supervisors to do something. They were concerned about what was happening, so I asked the manager to step outside. The manager and supervisor stepped outside. I talked to them. I said, better to comply and not get written up for insubordination, and we'll talk about it later. We did. Uh, then they had a hearing, and the question the supervisor asked is, what did your supervisor, excuse me, what did your union representative, Pete Wilson, say to you to have you comply? And uh, that is illegal under the Myers-Milius-Brown Act. They should not be interfering with union uh, work. Uh, the other thing is, it just came out that they are telling uh, fair inspectors that they can never sit on a bus. The rule is, if they're on a bus and people are sitting down and they need seats, they can't sit. They've always complied with that. Uh, but now they're telling them they can never sit on a bus. So we're talking two and a half hours straight. I would suggest that some of you stand up every once in a while and move around, it's good, but you also shouldn't be standing for hours straight. So I, I just think that uh, what's going on there is, is uh, very sad. Um, as Anthony Ballister was talking earlier, the SFMTA is forcing a change against our contract, saying that people 
And by the way, Lydia, you were speaking, I think you said, uh, yeah, you were maybe talking about Rafael Cabrera, who's a very, uh, uh, he's number three, he's a cable car operator, he's a senior operator, that guy can have eight, ten weeks, and he can go take it all at one time. They were saying, well, the newer operators cannot, there are times that they can't sign up for vacation. I asked where that data was, and the manager said, well, I can't give you that data. Uh, it's just what I've heard. Here is the documentation that proves that every single operator has an opportunity. They just don't have the opportunity Thank to you. sign up for the weeks that they want. It's your time. Here is the letter please. that they wrote us, and I've got the untruths uh, written you. on here. You can enjoy next, that. Next speaker, please. Dear commissioners and director, this is Josephine. Very glad to be here for the very first time. Uh, we represent uh, immigrants, multi-generation family, the working poor, a majority of people that living in and outside of Chinatown in the Chinese community. We need cars to really make a difference in our life. We used to stay in SROs in Chinatown, very crappy housing situation for people living in a room without toilets and without kitchen. But with a car, we are able to move to a further out sub, um, neighborhoods that we can get access to better schools, better work, and we can start being self-employed, little um, business people, handymen, bringing tools with our cars, starting to have a con start having a contracting business and other businesses that will be make us self-sufficient. The car, nowadays, roads are not open, and Great Highway is closed for commute. It adds a lot of burden to our community. And also, parkings are being taken away by many different reasons. Some are necessary, but some, like the bike rental rack, can totally be put on wider sidewalk in 45 degrees. We can definitely use more technology to ensure transit and person sa walker safety. We can be walker and bus people any day, not just someday. Some people will always take bus and some people will always drive. We are everything every other day, every day. So don't make us pit each other against each other. Let's make sure that we bring in technology to ensure safety, crosswalks, overhead flashlights, for people walking across and other technology to ensure um, walker safety, biker safety, and transit safety. We can do all for everyone. We don't have to choose and pick whom we serve. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hey, board members. Uh, Luke Bornheimer. I have a few things I want to touch up on today. Um, first, no turn on red. As you all know, last year we had 39 roadway deaths in our city. Next year is the end of our Vision Zero goal. Um, no turn on red is proven to work, proven to make streets safer, and can be approved immediately and implemented in an incremental manner that prioritizes, for example, high injury network, intersections, intersections with large number of people walking. Um, since your last meeting, the Mayor's Disability Council voted unanimously to support a citywide no turn on red policy. Um, adding to the Board of Supervisors unanimous approval of a non-binding resolution sent to you. Um, unfortunately, you and Mayor Breed are the only people of power and authority who have not commented on or voted on um, 
approving a citywide policy. Um, and you are the only ones who can actually make it happen. Um, so I encourage you to take that up as soon as possible, ideally before the end of the year. Um, next, Valencia Street. Um, many people, including you, have talked about the evaluation report that is coming to you shortly. Um, unfortunately, something that has not been talked about is the fact that crash and injury data will not be included in that because SFDPH and SFPD data is lagged. The public doesn't know that. Um, that's a problem. That's like one of the only pieces of data that matters, right? Is it safe? Are injuries increased? That's a massive problem. I don't know what to do with that, but someone should probably do something about that. Um, staff have also not created a detailed design for curbside protected bike lanes between 15th and 19th, which would mean that if you voted to remove the center bikeway, it would have to go back to paint only unprotected bike lanes. So I would encourage you to urge staff to create a detailed design by the time that evaluation report's presented. Finally, in the last 10 seconds, um, Laura Taylor was killed on the I-280 on-ramp. Um, likely that happened because there's not good signage. She was riding a bike on SFMTA streets, ended up on a highway on-ramp. Probably won't count towards Vision Zero numbers. It should. It's a really tragic death. Thank you. Thank you. Any other speakers in the room for general public comment? Okay, seeing none, please open the phones. Christine? At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. First speaker. Speaker, you've been unmuted. Moderator, let's go to the next speaker and come back. This is Herbert Weiner. Uh, one concern I definitely have is there should be remote public comment. Now, sometimes abusive language can be used on the phone. At that point, they should, the offensive speaker should be cut off and stopped from uh, talking. Uh, the second concern I have is also about the timely bus service for Lowland and high schools. I believe this can be remedied by adding more buses to that run and not taking away from other runs. We definitely need more buses to reflect the need for public service. And I think that this is the main key. The leaving bus stop is not the solution. It's basically adding more buses to the fleet. So uh, these are comments I have. I realize that you have a budgetary crisis. You claim a budgetary crisis, but I believe you still have room enough to add more buses to the fleet. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, this is Adam in Selma. Um, First off, thanks for still keeping public comment. It's much appreciated. Not all of us can get there in person. Um, but I wanted to focus on, a on talking about street safety in Selma because we have a number of super narrow alleys here in Selma, some of which are overloaded with two-way um, driving as well as parking lanes. And it, someone else had commented earlier that the SFMTA is deathly afraid of removing parking, and that causes safety issues. We've been trying to get SFMTA to either remove parking and or remove, make a two-lane road one way so that cars and trucks do not have to go up on the sidewalk 
but um, so far, you know, we're going to keep trying, but so far your organization has refused to do either. Um, and one of the common comments that we've got from engineers who come out is that SFMTA does not want to remove parking spaces because drivers will complain about it. Um, you should not be putting uh, free parking above the safety of residents in a neighborhood who walk and bike on local streets. Um, you know, cars do not pay for parking in most of these streets and, you know, everyone uses them. The other comment has to do with the Valencia bike lane. Um, we know it's not working. The constantly, just this past week, you know, yet another semi-pickup truck is using it as parking. Cars go in and out of the center of the bike lane all the time. Um, if you're not going to bother with enforcement, if you're not going to bother putting up concrete bollards that stop cars and trucks from coming into the bike lane, then rip it out and let's go to the protected bike lane proposal that um, Luke had mentioned. We need to put safety and usability above the convenience of car drivers. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Hi there, this is Susanna Upson. First, I've long awaited to say thank you to all of those who advocated for a free meeting for all our youth. Thank you. Now we need to get our kids to school on time. I'm here also to talk about the 48. My kid is routinely skipped by one, two, and sometimes three 48 buses at 24th and Guerrero and at 24th and Mission. He routinely is tardy for first period, and um, this is a really important year for our, my high schooler to be on school on time. Um, obviously, some, and when he's late, we try to get him to school by car. Obviously, some families cannot do this, and it contributes to our city issues of students being truant. <clears throat> I reached out to my school community for suggestions, but instead I heard the same stories of kids being skipped in morning commute on bus lines, let's see, 23, 28, 29, 44, and seven. I'm here to, I've heard, I heard the board earlier talk about some suggestions on rotating start time. This is something maybe to think about, but not achievable this year. We need your help to make improvements for our kids now. Um, for the 48, how about an immediate 48 express, maybe during morning commute? 30 SFTH, one intermission stop, maybe mission in 24th, and then no way in onwards. Um, right now, there's a big attendance issue that the SFUSD is working on. Also, busing or getting our kids on bus to school can really help reduce traffic at our school sites and surrounding streets. Mm -hmm something that rotating start times would not help with. Um, a quick comment on the Valencia corridor, is that it? Thank you, your time is up. Um, a quick okay, okay. Thank you. Next speaker. We have no additional speakers. Okay, with that, we will close public comment um, and colleagues and members of the public. I apologize, we do not have uh, translation services available. Those are, um, we're, we recommend uh, that people request that 48 hours in advance. There's a phone number, 415-646-4470.
anyone can request language assistance. Uh, we request two days in advance so we can accommodate that request. Uh, with that, please move to item 10. Directors, that places you on item 10, your consent calendar. These items are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote unless a member of the board or public wishes to consider an item separately. Item 10.1, requesting the controller to allot funds and to draw warrants against such funds available or will be available in payment of the listed claims against the SFMTA. Those are items 10.1A and B. Item 10.2, approving various routine parking and traffic modifications and making environmental review findings. Um, and it's come to my attention that item 10.2A did not include an address, and so will be removed and returned to you at a future meeting. Today, you will be considering items 10.2B through D as listed in the agenda. Item 10.3, authorizing the Director of Transportation or their designee to execute a grant agreement and any amendments to such grant agreement with the California Department of Transportation to receive approximately $1.3 million in discretionary funding for the SFMTA's Embarcadero Mobility Resilience Plan. Item 10.4, authorizing the Director of Transportation to approve amendments to two as-needed specialized training services contracts. Um, the first one, Amendment Number 6, to contract number SFMTA 1839A with Moran Consulting to extend the contract duration 15 months beyond the contract's five-year term and to increase the contract amount by a million dollars for a not to exceed amount of approximately $3.8 million to a not exceed amount of approximately $4.8 million. And amendment number three, to contract number SFMTA 1839B with DTUI.com to extend the contract duration 15 months beyond the contract's five-year term without increasing the not to exceed amount of $3 million. And item 10.5, approving a reduced roadway shared spaces closure of Hayes Street between Goff and Octavia Streets, 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. each Friday and 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. each Saturday from November 10, 2023 through Saturday, October 19, 2024, consistent with the SFMTA Board of Directors recommendation given at the October 17, 2023 board meeting. The application from the Hayes Valley Merchants Council for a roadway shared spaces permit is to close Hay Street between Goff and Octavia Streets Friday from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., Saturdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and making environmental review findings. That concludes your consent calendar. Okay, colleagues, unless there are uh, clarifying questions, I'd like to go to public comment on the consent calendar uh, for anyone in the room. Um, so I had a couple, but the um, Hayes Street, I, I don't know what to say other than um, I think that it should be closed 24-7, 365, and so the merchant's meager ask to have all weekend long um, should be granted, and stripping it down further is just, it's, it's silly, um, and it echoes, um, it's much like Valencia and many other merchant corridors. We need to do things for our city that um, help our merchants, and bringing in cars just doesn't. <laughs> um, 
and then the, I was really curious about the Embarcadero money. Um, the report made it sound like, hey, we are getting free money, and unless we have money coming from somewhere else, I'd really like to hear more about what the money is going to be used for. I mean, I don't want to turn down free money, but I care very much about the Embarcadero and think that that's another place that should not have cars. And so I, I'd like to know what the money will be spent on and that it will be about planning what's best for the Embarcadero. Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember, but <laughs> thank you. Thanks for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Uh, Alan Burradell here. Um, I want to express my opposition to any plan to close Hay Street uh, for more than one day a week. A one day a week closure was already, it was already extensively discussed and already agreed upon. In fact, one day per week was the recommendation of SFMTA staff. It should be clear why something about the process, something about the process seems unfair. There should be a fair process for SFMTA initiatives and policies that can negatively impact a neighborhood, and especially the small businesses and the residents there. And I'm dumbfounded by what appears to be SFMTA's tone-deaf steamrolling over residents and merchants concerning concerns regarding Hayes Valley street closures as it reneges on earlier agreements. I support Hayes Street residents and merchants in stopping the SFMTA and Supervisor Preston from reneging, reneging on this agreement for a limited, the agreement was for a limited Hayes Street closure and trying to replace it with an unnecessary and unwanted multi-day closure, or even worse, a permanent 24-7 street closure. I urge the SFMTA board here that it must approve the original single-day programming that was agreed upon based on studies, reviews, and recommendations by the SFMTA, and outreach to Hayes Street merchants at that time. Please note, Hayes Valley does not lack open space, it's got a lot of parks. We support traffic and transportation plans for all modes, all modes, and with unobstructed access to Hay Street Business Corridor for a vibrant, access, accessible, healthier business. So thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. Directors, Director Tumlin. <clears throat> My name is David Robinson. I'm a homeowner in Hayes Valley and also a member of the Board of Directors for the Hayes Valley Neighborhood Association. Um, obviously, uh, I, I am here in support of the Friday night, Saturday closure, continuance of the closure of Hayes Street and the corridor between Golf and Octavia. Also supporting uh, that staff look into full-time closure of Hayes Street. The restaurants and the shops along that corridor benefit greatly. Uh, we represent residents of Hayes Valley that have overwhelmingly supported continuing this. I think the uh, board was uh, received uh, many uh, emails in support of it, and uh, they have uh, overwhelming, overwhelmingly uh, commented that that makes our neighborhood even um, safer and uh, more well used, and it is a destination not only for residents, for people th from throughout the city, 
if not from throughout the state that visit San Francisco. Um, and they've made that very clear. So I urge you to, to support that. And then um, down the road, uh, have staff look at uh, continuing that on a 24-7 um, basis. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, board members and Director Tumlin. Um, my name is Robin Levitt. I'm a 30-year resident of Hayes Valley, and I'm here to speak in support of item 10.5, the recommendation uh, for Hayes Street shared spaces on Fridays and Saturdays that also directs your staff to design a process to pedestrianize a street. Since receiving SFMTA staff feedback at the October 17th board meeting, the community has committed to making the Hay Street shared space a viable program with five activation events and eight more scheduled by the end of the year. The opening of streets to pedestrians and users other than motorized vehicles is consistent with San Francisco's transit first, climate action and vision zero goals as well as the recommendations outlined in the Market Octavia Area Plan, which the city adopted in 2008. For over three years, repurposed Hayes Street has been a boon for Hayes Valley residents, visitors, and merchants alike, providing an oasis of calm and safety in a neighborhood with some of the worst air pollution levels in the city and inundated with traffic-clogged arterial streets, including Oak, Fell, Franklin, Golf, and Octavia Boulevard. Fairness dictates that if our streets are going to be to, to continue to serve as traffic sewers, in exchange, the community deserves traffic-free space as a respite from pollution, noise, and the perpetual threat of being hit by motor vehicles. Please approve the Friday and Saturday schedule and direct SFMTA staff to design a process to pedestrianize a street giving our community a path to a 24-7 Hayes Street sp shared space. Thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Andrew Signer. Um, I'm here to ask to please approve item 10.5 to um, continue the program on Friday and Saturday for the Hayes Street shared spaces and also instruct MTA staff design a process to pedestrianize a, a street. I created a, a website called carfreehays.org. We've gotten over 1,300 uh, signatures on it so far. We've also uh, gotten the endorsement of uh, the Hayes Valley Neighborhood Association, Hayes Valley for All, the Lower Haight Merchants and Neighbors Association, uh, Page Slow Street, um, the Outer Sunset Neighbors, and yesterday we got an endorsement from the SF Symphony. This is a broad coalition of merchants, neighbors, and organizations that all support a fully pedestrianized Hay Street. Um, all we're asking for today are those two uh, particular days. Um, the feedback from SFMT staff at the last meeting was to activate the space more. Um, as someone else said, we've already scheduled 13 events between then and the end of the year. When I say we, I'm not doing all of this. These are independent orgs that are using the space. Um, the next five Fridays are already booked for events, so I just want to point out how important that evening is for us. It's our busiest evening, um, and I really want to thank you all for the discussion you had three weeks ago to amending it to allow us to continue to use Friday. Um, so thank you for all your work. Cheers. Thank you. Next speaker, please.
Hi, my name is Richard Johnson. I'm with a group called HV Safe, and then also um, we have an ongoing petition, citywide petition. That's the petition fair, Hayes Valley. And I'm here to bring up another point of where it's interesting that many of my neighbors and friends are focusing on Hayes Street. We have a a car-free street that's been there since the late 60s. It's called the Buchanan Mall. And I think if you're going to expend energy, um, that would be something to be looking at. It's already car-free. Um, it would actually do what the merchants are saying along Hayes Street to activate um, um, the lower Fillmore and, and the Fillmore District in general. But it's been something that's been there since the, the 70s. I have to say, as someone who's a transit rider and a pedestrian, I reach out to you as the agency to really make our neighborhood, instead of closing uh, streets, doing more with the transit. I'm a regular rider on the hate, hate street buses, and to me, it was like the usual, waiting to go to an appointment at UCSF, and had to wait like 30 minutes for a bus. And we were promised greater transit uh, with all the development that ca that's come to our neighborhood, and we're not seeing that. So I'm saying that you should follow the um, what your staff had recommended and to scale back with certain conditions and not to go forward with a two-day and definitely not to move forward with studies to close off the uh, A Street. Uh, you should actually be spending your energy and kind of teeming with the money that's already been invested on the Buchanan Mall to really, that to me could achieve everything that everyone is asking and it would be a simple walk for people to just walk over there and to do something which I do on a regular basis. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and like I say, I encourage you to follow your staff report. Thank you. Uh, Director Tomlin. Next speaker, please. Okay, thank you, thank that's you. your time. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Jennifer Laska, the president of the Hayes Valley Neighborhood Association, and I'm also here um, on behalf of Lloyd Silverstein, who couldn't be here, who's president of the Hayes Valley Merchants Council. Just to urge you to vote yes on the con consent agenda item today for Hayes Street. I think we had a robust um, conversation last month and came to a good compromise. So um, please just stick with it and um, hope you vote yes. Thank you. Thanks for your comment. Any other speakers in the room? Seeing none, please open remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Hi, good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. For some reason, my hand was lowered during public comment, and I didn't get a chance to make public comment. So, uh, so thank you for taking that away from me. Uh, just like you taking away my, my taxi stands uh, in the city as well by not having enforcement. You could really make more money for transit if you actually actually had more PCOs on during the off hours and enforcing the illegal double parking and the illegal parking that goes on the streets. Uh, I want to address this regarding Hayes Valley. Obviously, the closure doesn't work for every business. And uh, even though M Manny leaving um, uh, represented small business, there's some, some uh, hypocrisy going on here. If you care about small business, then you should, you should do better outreach 
and hear the concerns of the small business people that don't benefit from certain changes, uh, such as somebody put uh, uh, the rental bikes in the middle of the block, taking away uh, this, this business's uh, 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 deliveries. So he didn't have a place for the to deliveries at a double park in the bike lane. Uh, so, so, so the thing is, is, is that you, have, you, you can't take care, care of everybody's needs, but you need to listen to all members of the community, not just a few, because then they become unintended consequences. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, this is Adam from D6. I just wanted to call in support of all the Hayes Valley residents who are supporting the, um, the closure of Hayes Street. I know here in some, well, we would love to do similar with some of our streets. So it's the kind of thing that makes a neighborhood more viable, more popular, and it's great to have walkable, walkable streets and walkable areas with restaurants and businesses. Um, San Francisco should see more of this across the city, so I encourage you, please do what the residents and majority of business owners on Hayes are asking and close the street as requested. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Yeah, this is Susanna Upton. Uh, uh, we need more pedestrian space, so pedestrianization of Hayes seems right to me. Um, I have more experience on Valencia, which really needs increased pedestrian pathways. Um, if Hayes is like Valencia, where I have to walk in a single file, single file with my walking partner, uh, that's just not right. It's, we can't we can't look into windows together. Um, we, it, it's difficult to have a conversation. Uh, my my senior mother-in-law. Is um, feels rushed and pushed along on Valencia. I, this might be the case for Hayes as well. And so, more pedestrianization in our city is, is welcomed by me. Thank you. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Okay, thank you. We'll close public comment on the consent calendar. Colleagues, may I have a motion? Move the items. Second. Thank you. Please call the roll. On the motion to approve the consent calendar, Director Hemminger. Aye. Hemminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Chair Eakin. Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. Thank you. Let's move on to the regular calendar. Please call item 11. Item 11, authorizing the Director of Transportation to issue a request for proposals for contract number SFMTA 202420FTA for consulting services supporting the communications-based train control upgrade project for an initial term of five years in an amount not to exceed $25 million with five options to extend the term for an additional year for a total of 10 years in an amount not to exceed $36 million. Good afternoon, directors. I'm Dan Howard. I'm the project manager for the train control upgrade project. <clears throat> uh, today, we're going to give you, uh, decide to give the opportunity to give you a little bit of a project update in addition to um, requesting your permission to issue the RFP for our project 
consultants. So we'll go through a little bit of the background uh, as well as the project objectives and a progress report. Um, we'll talk about our approach for risk uh, and then go into the contracting strategy of which this consultant RFP is a part. Uh, so why are we upgrading the train control system for our Muni rail? Um, our train control system is approaching 30 years old and it has not been comprehensively overhauled during its life. Some core components are still the original components from 1994, 1998, and in some cases the system supplier has given us notice uh, for some of the parts that they're obsolete, no longer manufactured, and no longer supported. Um, up on the screen you see the floppy disks that we boot the computer up each morning with. Um, those are the actual floppy disks. Uh, the state of the art now in the train control industry has passed us by. Um, by several generations, but um, because we haven't meaningfully upgraded the system, this actually presents a unique opportunity to reconsider our train control needs and to host an open bid for the replacement. Um, modern train control systems today, uh, they track all of the train locations. They prevent collisions and uh, manage the spacing between trains as well as headways. Uh, in the tunnel, they uh, automatically operate the trains by controlling the acceleration and braking. Um, they set the train's routing in the system by distinguishing between a J and a K, an L or an N. Um, because of those functions, uh, the train control system has an outsized influence on our service delivery. Uh, the train control system can help us uh, ensure consistent travel times and frequencies. It can also allow uh, Muni to uh, offer flexible service plans and better rider communication during special events and service disruptions, such as APEC. Uh, this, we can also reduce some types of delays uh, that are caused by train congestion or traffic signal delays or junction delays. As I mentioned, uh, our current system is aging. It has outdated hardware and software that's increasingly obsolete and difficult to maintain due to the lack of parts. And as our uh, maintainers uh, retire, it's, we're also losing experience both on the, um, on the supplier side as well as the SFMTA side. The system is also dependent on 1980s technology that is fragile and easily disturbed, which complicates our uh, efforts to modernize and to uh, upgrade uh, unrelated aspects like the special track work, for example. Um, oftentimes uh, in service, we have trains that fail to connect to the ATCS and they have to operate without it. Uh, when that happens, that causes gaps, bunching, slowdowns, and rolling congestion uh, throughout the system. The 2019 Muni Reliability Working Group, which was a panel of MTA board members, supervisors, advocates, labor and transit experts, recommended that we replace the ATCS in its, as, its, as a top priority for Muni. In addition, uh, there is no um, train control on the surface. On the surface, trains are unregulated and therefore our junctions are first come, first serve. And the traffic signals uh, that are meant to work with those uh, junctions have limited ability to coordinate because they cannot see the trains coming in advance. So we're working against the clock where we don't know the end of the countdown. Two weeks ago, the system experienced a complete failure of the central components in the morning of October 24th. Trains were stopped in the tunnel for nearly half an hour. As time passes, it will, likely, it will become more likely that we'll experience failures such as this that will affect service and without spare parts, we run the risk of even greater um, uh, disruption. 
The agency is working behind the scenes to refurbish our own spares, um, salvage what we can, obtain used equipment from sister systems, but when we're doing that, we're borrowing time. We'll need to replace the ATCS in about the next five to eight years. Upgrading and, <clears throat> upgrading and modernizing the current train control system to current technology will itself provide benefits just by adding the modern technological capabilities such as Wi-Fi uh, that we all are familiar with to improve metro performance and reliability. On top of that, we are also planning to expand train control to the surface where it doesn't presently exist to allow us to have comprehensive rail service management and to compensate for some of the drawbacks on the geometric layout of our city's railway. We can't completely overcome the limitations that we've inherited from our streetcar system, but CBTC can significantly address the delays that are caused by signaling and congestion, and CBTC is a strong investment in the reliability and capacity of our Muni rail service. Uh, so after the, the need, I'm gonna go into the project. So the train control project um, that I manage is a 10-year project to update the ATCS to a modern CBTC and to expand the oversight of CBTC to the surface portion of the rail network. Uh, these are the key objectives for the project. Um, the project will increase our system capacity of Muni, allowing us to run more frequent service. Um, it will also extend upon the exemplary safety record of our current ATCS um, and actually extend those safety benefits um, system-wide as opposed to just the subway. Um, it will allow us to have more consistent tra train spacing and travel times. Um, it will support our service at all times. It will allow us uh, flexibility for special events and contingency operations. And we're also taking the opportunity to build in with, uh, with the supplier contract continual system upgrades on hardware and software so that we don't find ourselves in a position where we have a 30-year-old system again. Uh, these are some of the benefits that we expect to deliver to riders once the project is done. Uh, transit riders can expect to have fewer delays after the project has been delivered. Um, they ex can expect to have faster trips uh, and less time waiting between trains. Um, they can also expect to have more consistent wait times that match the advertised frequency as opposed to frustrating bunching and gaps. Um, they can also expect not to be stuck uh, between stations in the, in the tunnel, as was the case in 2018 and 2019. And they also will allow our, 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 our um, transportation management center to have more flexibility in managing service out in the uh, outer reaches of the system. Uh, the train control project will be delivered in phases, um, starting with the pilot phase. That will be a limited street running area that will validate the complete CBTC system. Uh, this, is, this is proposed on an area of track that is both critical to our service uh, with the two, uh, the ballpark and the chase center, but it's also an area where we don't presently have train control, so it represents a lower risk in terms of uh, failures. If there is a failure on the pilot phase, uh, we would simply revert back to the operating rules that we have today. Um, once we've successfully demonstrated the system is capable from the equipment on the vehicles to the equipment on the wayside uh, to the central equipment, uh, we'll then take on the most technically complex part of the project, which is replacing the existing ATCS with the new system in the Market Street and Central subways. Um, concurrent to that, we'll be also beginning to um, do the planning and, uh, and design and implementation for the, outs the exterior lines, such as the N, L, K, M, and T, and J. Um, 
to give you a little schedule update, um, right now we're currently working through the vendor selection and contracting process. So in January, you authorized um, us to issue an RFP and to select a supplier for the CBTC system. We issued the RFP in March and we received proposals after several extension requests from the suppliers. Uh, we did finally receive proposals on October 10th. Um, currently, we have those proposals in hand and we are evaluating the bids. Uh, going forward, we expect to bring a contract uh, to you for the train control supplier in the summer. Um, and we'll also plan, we also plan to bring the contract uh, for this consultant that you're considering on this item today around the same time so that we'll take them both to the board together. Uh, following your approval, we'll need the Board of Supervisors approval for both contracts. And so we anticipate uh, a notice to proceed for the train control supplier in early 2025. Um, which is what you see on the screen there. Following the NTP, we expect an 18-month design period followed by the beginning of the pilot phase. Um, we expect to deliver the first pilot segment um, and have it be operational in 2028, uh, and then to turn over the subway uh, to CBTC permanently in 2030. Um, expansion to the surface will also, uh, on the surface lines, will take place concurrently, so we'll be able to deliver those a little bit faster, uh, with the last one finishing in 2032. And then after we finished all the deployment, um, the contract uh, that you authorized us to, to um, advertise for uh, includes up to 20 years of support for the CBTC from the supplier. <clears throat> Our funding approach um, is inextricably linked to uncertainty, and at this point of the project, uh, we are in the most, uh, the highest period of uncertainty, given that the bids are out, um, and uh, we don't yet have an understanding of what the impact of those of the contract values may be. Um, we are going taking the project through the CIP process, and we should have a much better picture um, when we uh, when the board is updated on the budget and the CIP uh, next year. Um, but right now, um, in our current CIP, uh, we're funded at 290 million in this CIP. Um, but we estimate the project uh, overall project cost to be over 600 million. Um, it's important to note that we have been successful in attracting some competitive grants and discretionary funding sources, and that continues to be our project approach for funding is to use uh, the, the, um, the project work that we've done, as well as the funding that we've secured to attract more funding from the federal government uh, and state in the form of grants. Um, we anticipate that the strength of this project will, um, will continue to uh, attract those grants. <clears throat> Um, now to just give you a brief uh, kind of overview of some of the work that we've been doing with the risk management on the project. Um, we've done a lot of work uh, when it comes to uh, interweaving uh, questions of risk within the project. So <clears throat> as you can see, it's kind of like a brick wall and that you're laying uh, a foundation that's based on decisions. And then as you, as you continue, you have to base more risk decisions on top of those decisions. Um, and so the, the point that we're, that we're making here is that the, a project that we have has many unavoidable risks, um, and some of those risks translate directly into costs. Some of them are scheduled risks, um, and, but each one of them carries a risk that we, it carries a choice that we have to make in terms of are we going to accept um, the, the risk or are we going to try to mitigate it further, um, which does itself take time and money. Uh, so an example of that is, is um, the risk that we had uh, where we wanted to obtain a system of high quality 
Um, we knew that with our procurement strategy uh, that um, we wouldn't be able to do that um, with a low bid construction type contract. So we separated out the installation work. Um, but by separating out the installation work, that created um, something else that we that we needed to manage. Um, and we and we ultimately decided, you know, in the beginning of that of that uh, exercise, that the risk of SFMTA managing a separate installer was a lower risk than um, the the implications of having a, a poor quality train control system. Um, and so those are the types of decisions that we're making on, on a regular basis. And there are dozens and dozens of examples of that. Um, in addition to help us uh, manage those, um, the MTA board has created a subcommittee, I think we've met three times in the past year, um, that really provides a forum for staff to discuss those risks with the board members. Um, I know lately it's been a little bit difficult because we've been in this contracting mode and haven't been able to uh, express everything that we want to express with the, uh, with the procurement rules. Um, but soon we'll be through that phase and we'll be able to work together uh, a little bit more closely on, on the design questions, uh, on questions of bringing the installers on board and construction. Uh, but we did cover a lot this year. Um, we covered um, the overall risks um, that obsolescence poses to Metro service, um, risks that we intend, that we expected to encounter during this procurement process, um, risks to the schedule um, and how to, how to communicate those transparently, um, pricing that risk, um, which is an ongoing effort and we in intend to have uh, some more development uh, in next year uh, about that and managing the uncertainty that we know exists um, in the budget. Um, as well as, um, you know, we really left no stone unturned when it came to uh, researching international best practices and lessons learned both from SFMTA and other projects. Um, and, we, and we did give, um, uh, get a lot of good feedback from the subcommittee there. Moving into our contracting strategy, um, as, as I mentioned, um, because uh, in part we wanted to select uh, a, a robust uh, train control supplier and select them on their merits and also the ability of the supplier to provide long-term support, which is actually something that MTA hasn't really done in the past. It's always been an afterthought. Um, you know, you buy the system and then later you get around to doing a sole source contract um, for the support. We decided, you know, we really want to put the support up front and center. So it is, um, you know, we had to go and receive uh, permission from the Board of Supervisors to negotiate an up to 30-year contract. Um, which is which is a little bit groundbreaking, um, and by doing that, we we had to create this this structure here that you see on the screen, where we have the supplier uh, responsible for providing the system. They're also going to be our design partners. So as soon as we get them on board, we're going to have them really doing the heavy lifting in terms of designs requirements. Um, that, as I mentioned, that's the the contract that's uh, that the RFP was issued in March, um, and the bids that we're evaluating. Uh, the contract that's circled is the one that's before you today, uh, the second in the, of the three, uh, which is the consultant contract uh, that allows us to um, support our project management, um, provide some uh, international expertise, design expertise uh, to bear on the system, uh, and to generally support things like construction management uh, and, and other avenues. And then later, um, as we go through each of the individual phases, we'll be bringing individual uh, installer contracts. And the nice thing about that approach is that when we bring those installer contracts before you, they will be based on 100% design. So there should be little to no risk uh, in, the, in those um, because we have worked out all the design details and will be much further along than um, some of the other contracts that we typically negotiate. 
So the consultant RFP, uh, as was mentioned, uh, this is an as-needed technical services contract uh, supporting SFMTA. Um, the initial term is for five years and $25 million. We've uh, added five options of one year each, uh, bringing the total to 10 years and a not to exceed of $36 million. Um, that's, that's out of an over $600 million budget. Um, the key rationale, as I mentioned, uh, it's part of our risk management strategy um, in risks uh, pertaining to the project. Um, we also have a need to augment our technical staff acutely. Um, we're having difficulty hiring particularly engineers onto the project. Um, there is not a lot of engineering experience uh, in the United States, much less the Bay Area, um, and so we've had difficulty bringing those members on as full-time staff. Uh, we do have some open positions if anyone is interested in applying. Uh, we'd love to have your application. Um, but in the meantime, we're, we'll use the consultants to help augment that. We'll also be hiring junior engineers uh, in the hope that they can, we can build them up uh, and teach them the knowledge from the consultants and have them learn. Um, and then we're also going to need uh, a third party to help us hold uh, the supplier and the account installer accountable to the um, obligations of their contract. So this is a summary of the services that are uh, included in the consultant RFP, which is part of your uh, packet. But in the general, the general sense, we have some uh, project management and admin support, um, construction management support. Uh, design and engineering, as I mentioned, they're not going to be the designers, that's going to be the supplier, but they will help uh, SFMTA evaluate those designs uh, when we get submittals. Um, system integration support, so those are um, this number of systems that the CBTC will have to talk to, like our OrbCAD system or our UMO prediction system, um, we'll have support there to help us uh, should we need it. Um, QA support, so SFMTA will have a, a large QA responsibility, needing to QA both uh, um, the supplier's designs, the supplier's equipment, as well as the installation work that was done. Um, testing and commissioning will be a large part of this project. I expect in future years when we get to that point to be providing regular updates on this progress of that. Um, and consultant support will help us, again, have more eyes, make sure that that goes smoothly with minimal disruption to the riding public. Um, safety and security evaluation is critical to the acceptance of the, of the um, system from the CPUC, um, FTA, and other regulatory bodies to making sure that we get authorization to operate the system. And then, uh, as was necessary, we, we also believe we'll need some post-delivery um, and operations and maintenance consulting because there will be a strong learning curve as we transition our TMC, our field staff, our train operators to a new system from an old system. Uh, we don't believe we'll be able to do that with just the supplier, but we'll also need um, some consultant support to help us create materials and, and smooth that, um, that transition along. So again, uh, the action before you today, um, we recommend that you authorize the Director of Transportation to issue an RFP for uh, contract 2024-20 FTA for consulting services supporting the CBTC upgrade project. And again, those terms, uh, five years for 25 million with five options to extend for an additional year for a total of 10 years and not to exceed 36 million. And that concludes my presentation, thank you. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, uh, Deputy City Attorney Susan Cleveland also would like to make a comment before we come to you. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, Deputy City Attorney Susan Cleveland Knowles, I just wanted to follow up on something that I think Dan explained pretty well in his presentation, but there are two separate uh, things underway right now. First is the consultant contract, which is what is in front of you today. So that is where the prime discussion um, 
should focus for today. Second, there is an ongoing evaluation of the communication-based train control system going on, but that is in the middle of a procurement. So to ensure that the procurement process is conducted fairly, there should not be information provided to the public today uh, regard regarding the ongoing procurement. So for example, number of bids, the ongoing evaluation process, all of that is not uh, to be disclosed today. So uh, my colleague, David Innes, who has been advising Dan and the team on this procurement is um, on WebEx, and I just didn't want people to be startled if he jumps in from uh, the internet to um, interrupt a discussion or a question. So we'll try to keep, try to keep the discussion um, going down the right track, but I just wanted to make sure that was understood. Um, and thank you, Dan, for making that fairly clear in your presentation. Thank you so much for the clarification. Um, and I just want to also acknowledge the service of my colleagues, Director Hemminger, So and Henderson on the Train Control Upgrade Project Subcommittee. And so I would love to open it up to you all first if you have any thoughts or recommendations for Director Henze and myself. And I think I saw you, Director Henderson, raise your hand first. Sure. Is that me? Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, our, uh, to our council, I'd like to ask a question about the other contract. Are you saying I can't ask any questions about it or just those related to the current evaluation of the proposals? Um, I'll let David clarify, but I think it's mostly related to the evaluation of the proposals. But David, do you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Deputy City Attorney uh, David Innes. Um, you can ask about the public information about the ongoing procurement. In fact, the RFP was reviewed and approved by the board, but any information regarding the progress, the any details on uh, participants, even uh, what is going on on our side regarding the ongoing evaluation of the proposals is uh, protected information and shouldn't be disclosed at this point at the risk of potentially undermining the process and requiring it to be started over again. Okay, well, maybe just to avoid heart attacks here, I'll, uh, I'll defer the question about the uh, contract to another time. Um, I, I think it would be helpful, Dan, to hear about how you built the cost estimate for the, the contract that is before us today. Um, it's a lot of money. Uh, but it's also an investment in an even bigger sum of money uh, that we're going to be uh, uh, seeking approval for later. Um, so where did, where did this number come from? Um, thank you for the question. Uh, the, the number came from, um, it started out as a, as a round um, uh, percentage figure of the overall cost. Um, we, we looked at that as a kind of ground truth to make sure we weren't out of, out of whack. Um, this is an as-needed as contract, so the number that you're seeing before you is a cap that, that I don't intend to hit. Um, I, I expect it actually to be less. Um, there are significant um, services that are in this contract, uh, for example, with system integration services that SFMTA intends to self-perform. Um, and so there's, those provisions in the contract are kind of an insurance policy um, that if we 
need additional support, it's there. So we based our, our annual estimate of um, one point, I believe it was 1.3 a year, um, million a year, uh, based on actual number of hours uh, that we would use using comparable SFMTA classifications. Um, so that, that wound up being less than the overall amount. Um, and then we, we added a little, we had about 25% contingency and then bounced that off of the overall project cost. So as I said, we expect to spend less than the cap, um, but uh, the cap was, was um, put in place also to include um, uh, inflation as well. Um, over the over the ten year life of the project, and this is a professional services contract, right? So we're not talking about low bid or anything like that. Yeah. So the the way that we'll receive bids will be um, they won't be bidding on the overall the overall cap number that you see before you. That's not going to change through negotiations. What is going to change is the rates. So we're going to we're going to be negotiating salary rates, which is essentially to me as a PM, that's that's how fast are we accelerating towards that cap. Um, and so we will be looking at that, um, and we will be looking at um, uh, essentially the, uh, uh, the the year over year expenditures, but we won't um, we won't necessarily use it all. Okay. And uh, colleagues, let me just make uh, one last point, and then ask my uh, my new fellow uh, committee members uh, one thing: the chair able to, was able to pull off is to remove herself from this committee <laughs> by pointing the rest others. of us to it. But that's you know, power has its uh, privileges. Um, the uh, the the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is risk and risk management. Um, and I commend the staff for taking that question head on and seriously. Um, obviously, we have had the ability to benefit from a couple of risky projects that we just finished. Um, I think there's probably a limited amount of transference of knowledge there because the other two projects were big honking civil construction, and this is really a software job. Um, and those can be the worst if you follow the industry uh, in terms of remember how long it took the state of California to get a new DMV computer. Um, so uh, given the fact that it is uh, a unique contract, I, I think that emphasizes all the more that we really take uh, the risk question seriously. Uh, I think you're covering uh, the areas that ought to be covered. Uh, the one that we're not covering and really aren't able to do is the, the Donald Rumsfeld, the unknown unknowns. Uh, and I, I think a good, robust risk process takes account of the fact that there are things we don't know, and we really can't know them at the beginning of the work. Uh, and we have to build in some, what I would call humility, um, into estimates we make of time and cost. Uh, and I know uh, you've heard me talk about it uh, till you're probably sick of it, but I do think we need to factor in that element of risk as well, the risk that we don't know, because very often the one you don't know is the one that really kills you. Um, so, uh, again, thanks for the uh, effort. Thanks for keeping our committee informed. I know the last time we met, uh, I was uh, out of town, so I, I believe you met with the other two members, 
and I'd certainly like to give them a chance to make their comments now. Okay, thank you. Uh, Director So, please. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. It's, it's amazing, I love this. Um, I just wanna piggyback where I on what um, my fellow director Hamminger said, that um, the unknown is the, usually is the one that throw us off the track. So in your $36 million budget, what is your contingency percentage? Um, for the for the consultant contract, it's it's 25%. Across the project, it's actually 25% as well. But uh, Director Heminger, as I think was alluding to, we have more work to do next year. We what we did with the pro building the project up. Again, we're we're at an early stage in the project, so we're we're using building blocks, rough order of mass magnitude estimates. And now we're we're only starting to kind of crest the surface and get into some more of the, the details now that we're getting proposals and when we get into design. So uh, the work that we have ahead of us, I believe, on top of that um, is to identify risks and price those individually while maintaining our 25% contingency for the unknown unknowns. Okay. That's, um, do, you, do you think that 25% is kind of in the higher end side for contingency. Just wanted to get a sense of scale here. Uh, I believe it's about standard for, for projects. For professional yeah, I'd say it's about contracts. middle of the road, yeah. Okay. Um, your um, slide about putting the three different contracts in the same page, it was very helpful. Thank you. And uh, my understanding is the supplier RFP already, um, you already received all the proposal, and that's in the procurement. Yes. So now we're talking about the consultant RFP. I'm trying to understand the um, timeline about the consultant RFP when we award them the contract. Would it be in sync with the same schedule of when we award the supplier contract? Because I'm trying to see that I would assume when we have these engineers and experts in traffic control, what they propose for us to do only makes sense if our supplier has the capacity to deliver. So yeah. it's a chicken and an egg thing. So I like to know: are is it? Am I am I wrong? Am I right? Or what's what's our plan? No, no. I think it's a good question. I think. Um, so the supplier RFP was much more complex than this as-needed services contract. So it required it requires a much longer process to work out through all the details. Our intent is is you know we issued that one first you know so it's it started ahead of us right, mm -hmm. um, but we plan to issue the consultant RFP now and have that basically catch up if you imagine them in a race and so. Our, our goal is when they when we get to the finish line, um, when we come back to you for contract approval, that we'll be able to present you both the supplier and the consultant around the same board meeting. So they should come at the same time, which will then mean that um, when we give the supplier RFP or NTP, that we're giving the consultant NTP right around the same time as well. So we want them both to come on board at the same time, and that was how we designed the process. Okay, great. And um, didn't have the luxury to read the draft RFP, but I think I remember I mentioned it to you in our first historical teacup 
meeting. Thank you for the orientations. Um, the SBE and um, DBE goal of 15%, I'd like to see that we actually also have micro LBE for our San Francisco uh, minority business contract participations. Yes, um, and is Virginia Harmon on the phone to speak to? Yeah. Uh, great, Virginia Harmon. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Eakin. Members of the board, Director Tumlin, Virginia Harmon. I am the manager of the Contract Compliance Office. I'm the agency DBE liaison officer. And you ask a very good question, what about the micro-LBEs? Well, they can participate on this project um, uh, because um, we're presently implementing two different types of programs. Um, one is the LBE program, and we use that program when projects are locally funded, and the other is our DBE program, when the projects are federally funded. Mm. Our DBE program requires us to set an SBE goal, and for, for firms to achieve that goal, they have to be certified as DBEs under the DOT program, SBEs under the State of California Department of General Services program, or LBEs under the city's local business enterprise program. So firms can participate in that way um, on this project. And as you know, the goal is set at 15% SBE participation. So we're looking to see DBEs, SBEs, and LBEs listed by the prime bidders to achieve those goals. Okay? So there, there are opportunities there. Um, this, this project is highly specialized, um, but we did work in consultation with the, the project team and identified that there were some opportunities still in spite of the highly specialized nature of the work. Um, and some of those areas are you know, project management work, construction management work, um, administration, uh, contract management work, and all of those areas, and we're hoping to see SBE participation there. Okay? Great. Thank you very much. Does that answer your question? It does. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Henderson, please. Virginia, I have a question for you, I think. Um, just along that line of the business um, goals, I'm curious if there, I think I heard that there's some un uncertainty with just how much of the $600 million will be paid from different sources. So if we run into a windfall and it's, you know, a different source than anticipated, so if it's a federal source or a state source and we um, expected it to be something different, does that change at all the, the um, SBE or DBE goals? No, um, it, it will likely not change in, in this circumstance. Um, typically, when we fund projects with federal money, there's a requirement that we use the federal program. Mm -hmm. So we can't switch back to the local program just because we got some more local money. So we're, we'll, we'll be stuck in this uh, federal um, program. But it's okay because, in fact, we are um, uh, able to accept LBE certifications under the SBE program that we're presently implementing. Oh, you, you are? Yes, we do accept LBE certifications under our SBE program, okay? Got it, okay, and then in terms of um, the outreach or, <coughs> excuse me, preparation for these businesses to be um, competitive, is there something specific that you are doing that maybe you have not done in the past that you expect to be able to reach these goals um, better? 
Well, we do routine outreach, you know, throughout throughout the year mm -hmm. on all of our projects and all of the projects that we're planning to bid. On this project in particular, though, we've been meeting with the community um, and uh, of of small businesses and um, have discussed with them the opportunities that are upcoming. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say, finally, in wrapping up, I think we had a really robust discussion on, at the teacup meeting um, on Friday. And I really appreciate this presentation <coughs> and the way staff was able to make this very complex and um, long-term project understandable <laughs> for, in bite-sized pieces. I think that the, well, the, not the concern, but the um, thing that came out of it f to me is that this is such a uh, long-term project and it's sort of the way the approach that you all are taking is pretty un not unusual but it's something that you're t testing out and so I do hope that we really do keep track of the lessons learned so that um, in however many decades when you're putting the little microchips on the screen to show you know the outdated technology that the staff of this agency will be able to, um, will have those breadcrumbs that can help lead them to a, a solution in the next upgrade. Um, so <coughs> please do keep that in mind. And you know, just the, the institutional knowledge and figuring out a way to make sure that, that, that this process is memorialized in a way that um, can be helpful so, so that maybe the next upgrade is is shorter or um, maybe more affordable. And um, the other thing that I wanted to just have a good understanding about is, or a little bit of clarity about, is that we anticipate bringing the other contracts in a couple of months, right? The supplier, is there an additional contract that's gonna come with that? Or is just the supplier box? No, so so next year, um, we think around the summer is when we'll plan to bring the supplier and the consultant contracts to you. Um, there is the installer contracts, but we're going to bring those one at a time as we start construction of each okay. phase. Um, so those won't be for several years. Okay. All right. Thank you. If after all of the comment and everything, I would like to move the item. Okay. Thank you. <coughs> Dr. Tomlin? Uh, yes, I wanted to thank Director Hemminger for his comment about risk and being transparent about risk. Uh, the reason why the subway is working better today than it has in decades is not because we have more resources, but rather because the team has been really thoughtful about risk and communication in trying new approaches in order to operate it better and maintain it better. Uh, I think we've learned a lot over the last couple of years about the necessity of being very upfront and transparent about the risks and things that we worry about and tracking those over time so that we can make course corrections continually as well as build trust. Uh, the presentation that Dan, I believe, gave to the uh, train control subcommittee uh, had a much longer uh, discussion about risk, which Dan also presented to the entire executive team, and we'll be using as a model moving forward so that we're continually reporting on the things that are worrying us, whether it's schedule or cost, or installation concerns, or contractor concerns. Um, we want to be very transparent about all of that rather than hide the problem, because it's through transparency that we can actually deliver this project uh, uh, 
successfully. This is something that we are modeling in our capital programs and construction division, as well as throughout the transit division. And I'm hoping that it will be the model for the rest of the agency in terms of managing complex projects. Um, and finally, I need, to, uh, I need to correct the record. Uh, previously, I have made statements erroneously stating that our train control system is loaded off of 1976 era, <laughs> five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Uh, I stand corrected and note that uh, it is loaded off of um, 1980s era, uh, three and a half inch disks. <laughs> we are much further ahead in our technological development than I had previously stated, and I want the record to reflect that. <laughs> thank you. Director Henze, please. Awesome. Thank you, and thank you again to, to, to my colleagues for uh, serving on the train control subcommittee, I think this this is making uh, this item uh, easier for Chicken and I. I did just have one question for Dan um, that you expressed a desire to hopefully spend less on this contract on this contract, it being an as needed contract. Um, to that end, I was wondering. Uh, and you showed, in one of your final slides, you showed possible services that might be included in this contract. Will you be requiring whoever uh, the subcontractor is to uh, submit scopes of work often that are specific, like every year, once a year, you know, so to help kind of control the cost, cost on that? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. Uh, that speaks to the, the way we intend to manage the contract, um, which is through uh, an annual work plan. Um, so each year on the anniversary of the contract, um, we would go over uh, with the consultant team uh, the expected tasks that we expect to have them accomplish and help us with through the year. So it'll be part of our, our annual you know, project planning discussions. We can also meet with them more frequently if we if an urgent needs arise, but at least every year uh, we'll go over that with them. And we'll essentially be selecting from that menu that you saw um, and under that menu, there are subheadings of of individual of the types of other individual supporting tasks of which of those tasks we feel like we'll need. So we definitely won't. There won't ever be a year. I, I mean, knock on wood. I don't think there'll ever be a year where we need all of those in one year, right? Like there, there's going to be some that are going to lie dormant. You know, there's one about post delivery support. We're obviously not going to need that till the end of the project. Um, but the so so we'll be selecting from those. Um, and then the consultant will essentially build their team for the year. You know, they need to understand and plan their workflow. Um, and so the structure of the RFP is, reflects that as well. We, um, as opposed to some other um, as-needed contracts, we're not asking the consultant to commit a large number of staff exclusively to this project and to locate them here because we know or we intend not to use them frequently enough to require that. So we've required a small number of staff to serve for continuity purposes as the project management staff. When I say small, I'm saying about four. Um, and then, uh, then, they're, then they're meant to identify uh, their lead personnel, their experts in each of those different disciplines who may be assigned to other projects, but who we expect to be available for ours. Now, that's where the, the devil will be in the details is availability of individual staff. And so we'll, we'll be each one of those annual 
work plans will be kind of a negotiation of sorts between uh, the consultant team and the project team in terms of uh, who we're getting, you know, what the overall level of effort or number of hours is um, and cost. Um, and we'll be using that as a mechanism to control costs so that we remain under the cap. Perfect. Sounds like um, there's a responsible plan in place for that. And so, um, Madam Chair, after discussion and public comment, I'll, I will gladly second Director Henderson's motion of approval. Thank you. Thank you, Director Hensey. Uh, colleagues, I will uh, open it up to public comment at this point for those in the room. Any speakers? Seeing none, please open remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Um, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Chair Amanda Egan. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, she and her, I request your leave to speak on this uh, train control item, and I have standing. Uh, this is very important. Um, and I haven't been on the subway in a while, but uh, I have been on the subway at times when things were not quite working as right as I hope. And while it has improved, uh, yes, I learned something new today about these floppy disks and uh, 80s technology, things I had in high school. Uh, so I think we have to work at um, improving this. Um, I can't say I have a long history with riding uh, the subway in San Francisco. It goes back to 2009. But I do have, uh, this summer, a resume of using communication-based train control uh, in New York City on their train system, which is actually called a, a subway. Uh, perhaps some of you have gotten to, to see it and use it. And the CBTC does perform markedly better uh, than, the, than the systems, the older systems, some of which are 80 years old. Um, so I, I enjoy uh, my times uh, riding on the seven line and some of those other new sections. So I hope we can do this work quickly. And there's gonna be more contracts coming, uh, but I, I wanna have the best subway that we can for San Francisco. And, I'd like seconds. to see how train control works on the surface. I guess I guess we're going to turn the trains into autonomous vehicles. That'll be very interesting because I follow that. So, so I appreciate it, and, and thank you for uh, the welcome uh, that you have shown me to speak on this. Thank you. No additional speakers. Okay. That will close public comment. Um, so colleagues, this subcommittee is a little bit of an, an, an unusual format for us. We haven't done this too much the way the Board of Supervisors does, but if, uh, if any of you do have a recommendation for us to consider uh, now or in the future going forward, I'd be happy to hear that just because you're able to dive much deeper into the topic. Um, but Director Henderson, I think you had a motion. There was a motion and a second. Great, let's call the roll. On the motion to approve, Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye. Director Henderson. Aye. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey. Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Chair Egan. Aye. Egan, aye. Thank you. The item is approved. Thank you. Please call item 12. Item number 12. 
approving an amendment to the SFMTA's zero-emission vehicle policy to allow for future trolleybus acquisition and extend the timeline for achieving a 100% zero-emission fleet to align with the California Air Resources Board, <clears throat> innovate their board's innovative clean transit ICT regulation timeline, which is currently 2040. Good afternoon, uh, Julie Kirschbaum, Transit Director. Thank you for the opportunity to bring to you a recommendation to modify our uh, bus electrification policy. Uh, I, our road to low and zero emissions vehicles is a program that I'm very proud of. Uh, I wanna talk today about some of the highlights of that program, as well as where we think our policy work needs to go in order to continue that success. Addressing the climate crisis is a core value driving our work. It's one we talk about a lot and is articulated in our citywide climate action plan. Our biggest challenge is the transport sector, which makes up 44% of San Francisco's greenhouse gas emissions. But I'm very proud to say that public transit makes up less than half a percent of those emissions. Within the transport sector, our biggest challenge is private vehicles, private cars and trucks, which is why all of the work we do around making transit and walking and rolling and biking attractive, so important. By contrast, you can't even see Muni on the graph. Uh, and that is because we make up less than 0.0001% of the greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, not only is the majority of our fleet electric, but the hybrids that we operate are operated using renewable diesel and are fossil fuel free. The reason I started with this is to make sure that as we think about these important goals around zero emissions vehicles, that we also continue to recognize that the best way to reduce emissions is by improving mode share, is by tackling that, that difficult 30%. Uh, as you saw, we had the honor of hosting the UITP Trolley uh, Commission a couple weeks ago, and the um, sec uh, Secretary General, uh, basically the head of UITP, said something that really stuck with me, which is, I would rather have a diesel bus in a transit lane than an electric bus stuck in traffic. And I, that really resonated with me because getting to a fleet uh, that is zero emission is important, but supporting that fleet with protected transit lanes and with uh, uh, safe and clean bus shelters and all of the other things that we are doing to improve service quality is critical. I introduced this framing uh, because one of the things I am going to be signaling today is that we do think we need to continue to purchase hybrid buses as part of our overall fleet program. And that is explicitly to continue to support those mode share goals. If we are not able to continue to buy a combination of electric and hybrid vehicles, we will be forced to keep our vehicles past their useful life and we will lose some of the 
the transformative nature that we've seen in our fleet program. Our fleet program is really, it's really principles-based, and it's something I'm so proud that our maintenance and our engineering staff have embraced. Uh, we um, started by saying that we were going to design a performance-based specification. And what that means is we are not telling the bus manufacturers how to build a bus, where to put their engine, what kind of door to design. We are telling them that we need vehicles that do not break down and can be maintained easily and that they stand behind in terms of warranty. And they're helping us to build the best vehicle that they can build. We've then committed to make sure that we are maintaining it to the highest standard. And that really means meeting and oftentimes using data to exceed what the manufacturers are recommending so that we are fixing components on buses before they break, not waiting for them to break. The last kind of key piece of this program is that we keep these vehicles in a state of good repair, which means not keeping vehicles past their useful life and continuing to replace them on an ad-needed basis. Um, our progress towards uh, zero emissions has been mighty. Um, as I said, we are fortunate that all of our trolley buses, our trains, our beloved cable car and historic vehicles are powered by clean hydropower from the Hetch Hetchy Dam and our hybrids, which we were an early adopter of in 2007 and now represent our full diesel fleet uh, run on renewable diesel. Uh, we've also, as the technology for hybrid buses has advanced, we've really taken advantage of it. Uh, the last 68 vehicles that we purchased, for example, can be completely zero emissions through about 25% of their route. So we have used uh, a partnership with the manufacturer and GPS coordinates uh, to make sure that these buses are running completely battery through some of the neighborhoods like Chinatown and the Tenderloin that are experiencing a disproportionate portion of that vehicle emissions that I talked about earlier. We are also uh, successfully piloting uh, electric buses. We now have 10 buses, uh, soon to be 12, from four different manufacturers. And the pilot is teaching us a lot. The first thing that it's teaching us is that these buses really can handle San Francisco conditions. It can handle our terrain. It can handle um, our, our heavy passenger loads. Um, we're testing them all over the city, so everybody is benefiting from them. And we've put these big lightning bolts on them so people know uh, that they're, they're part of our experiment. We are also uh, not seeing the reliability yet on these vehicles that we are seeing on our hybrid fleet. And we are currently working to hold these different manufacturers accountable um, to improve the quality of their product to meet the expectations of our customers. 
We have also learned a tremendous amount about the facilities, and the facility work is absolutely the most challenging pieces of this. We have now 12 uh, plug-in chargers at our Woods Division, um, and we are so grateful that we have received a large federal grant that will allow us to add an additional 12 chargers that have the overhead pantograph, uh, which is a much uh, easier way to charge the vehicles along with six um, uh, spots at Islaus Creek that will allow us to pilot 60-foot electric vehicles, which we're also very anxious to test. Everything we do in the fleet world because of electrification is now inextricably linked to our facility program. And these two teams and these kind of two worlds have worked together to create a really a, a living plan and a living approach. Um, when we adopted the 2018 policy, it was very restrictive. It eliminated all buses except for battery electric, and that included the trolley buses. And as a result, the Petrero facility, which is gonna be our first new facility investment, was anticipating kind of short-term trolley, but then really a transition to electrification. We are now strongly recommending, based on what we've learned in the last uh, six or seven years, that the agency stay vested in trolleys, uh, which means that Petrero would become really the trolley hub of the, of the agency. It has um, expansion space in it and would allow us to move the majority of our trolley vehicles to this central location. The zero emissions policy, which the board adopted in 2018, um, called for us to be 100% uh, zero emissions by 2035 and to not buy anything um, but battery electric buses by 2025. I am here today to ask you to uh, modify that policy because it is not achievable or it's really only achievable if we don't buy new buses, which I believe will degrade our transit experience. We adopted our policy about nine months ahead of the California Air Resource Board. Um, which has adopted a, a slightly more relaxed goal of 2040. Um, and the CAR program does also allow for exemptions based on some of the challenges we're seeing, particularly around funding and utility coordination. Um, so our main recommendation today is that we modify the policy to be more expansive to allow all zero emissions vehicles, including trolleys, as well as to align our timeline with the California Air Resources Board timeline. Um, as I indicated, I think the biggest hurdle in front of us is funding. Uh, Jonathan's team is estimating that just the electrification portions of the Building Progress Program are upwards of $1.3 billion. Uh, we also are seeing about a 30% premium between hybrids and um, electric vehicles, so um, that in and of itself is also another about quarter of a billion dollars. So this is, um, this is, a lot of money, um, it's a lot of need, 
and we have frankly had a mixed record, uh, which is not unique to California. I had an opportunity this morning to speak at a uh, conference uh, about the U.S. transition to clean buses, and there was a Southern California property, um, OCTA, there. And one of the things they pointed out is that because California was such a leader in early adoption of low emissions, we are not receiving um, federal kind of credit when we compete for these grants because we are not seeing dramatic drops in emissions because as I showed you, we're at 0.001%. Uh, but by not helping us with this journey and with this regulatory requirement, it's almost rewarding the states that didn't make the same investment that California made in low emissions. Um, so the, the, main, um, the main pivot that I'm asking is that we continue uh, on an ambitious journey towards zero emissions, but that our vehicles track with our facility capacity. Uh, this is the, the program. Jonathan is here to answer all your hard questions um, about it. Uh, but it does uh, start with the two pilots I talked about. We are then working towards the Kirkland Yard being our first fully electric uh, facility. Uh, the benefits of starting with Kirkland is it is an open air facility. Um, it is uh, relatively straightforward in terms of the construction process, uh, but it is an unfunded construction project. So we have been moving as much money as we can to keep the design going because we very much want to open up this facility in 2028. And we also believe that as the project matures, it will become more competitive uh, for discretionary funding. Uh, the second um, all-electric facility would be Islaus Creek, but we don't currently see a pathway to complete that project before 2030, which is why uh, we're anticipating not just the upcoming procurement to have some hybrid vehicles in it, but also the subsequent procurements through the end of the decade. In terms of next steps for this work, um, we, uh, uh, if, if the board signals and makes the policy change today, we would very much uh, like to designate Petrero as um, the trolley hub. Uh, we are uh, recommending that we temporarily store the 60-foot trolleys while we do the Petrero construction. Uh, we had previously talked about building some very expensive temporary facilities, and with our 2018 vehicle demands, that would have been absolutely necessary. But as I said, because this is a living document, because we understand now that our short-term vehicle demand is relatively short, uh, we can um, approach it in this more cost-effective way. Um, we also would like to continue to pursue a combination of procuring hybrids and electric vehicles. The action before you today would be to revise the zero emission policy, and then we would be bringing you uh, later this year or early next year um, a procurement for uh, replacement vehicles. Uh, initially with a uh, new flyer to buy 94 hybrid vehicles, 
seven uh, 40-foot electric vehicles, and then the six 60-foot trolley vehicles. And then I'm also very excited that Gillig, uh, which is a Bay Area-based uh, bus manufacturer and has not uh, been interested in the past in selling SFMTA buses, has been really excited about how we're approaching our maintenance work, how we are striving towards partnerships with the private sector. And so they have also agreed to build five 40-foot trolley buses. Um, and then lastly, I uh, want to flag that we do anticipate needing to come to you in uh, 2024 to approve an exemption um, to, the, to the CARB policy in order to have this mixed procurement approach. This uh, graph here, I think, tracks our transition. Uh, we would um, be targeting 2040, uh, which is about how long we think that the facility program is going to take in order to support this work, um, but also continuing to be um, uh, nimble and, and make changes in real time if, if things start to uh, be more complicated than we're currently expecting. And the last topic that I want to talk about uh, before I wrap up is that we are very committed to having a just transition for our workers um, and really make sure that this board knows that this work will not result in any job loss uh, for our, our current amazing uh, maintenance staff. We are very, very fortunate that the we took the hybrid approach to this transition. Because the vehicles are so similar, we have been able to train our automotive mechanics that maintain the hybrid vehicles to maintain the pilot buses with really no more additional training than what they would receive with any new bus. We also are so fortunate that we have um, uh, traction power um, staff already working on the trolley vehicles that would expand their scope to support the electrification of our facilities. So we do not have some of the complicated um, job training and transition needs that the rest of the industry has, but we are also continuously tracking uh, this work and making sure our staff understand that we remain vested in them as we make this transition. Um, I think that I have made the mistake in the past when we've talked to different policy groups about electrification um, to be overly rosy. This is the last hybrids we'll bring you, or this is the last, last hybrids that we'll bring you. Um, I, I'm trying to take a different tone today, which is to say, in, in many ways, I think the plan that we have laid out for you is the best case scenario. Um, it assumes funding um, that we still do not have in hand. It includes coordination with a regional utility provider that is trying to scale up not just for San Francisco and not just for transit, uh, but across multiple sectors as many, many um, uh, parts of um, the city are moving towards uh, zero electrification. So we are trying to manage those risks uh, by doing this planning, uh, by working um, with PG&E on what our big need is, 
as well as the specific projects. Uh, we are uh, looking all over uh, the country to try to understand how different properties are approaching this um, and, and what we can learn. Um, we have been um, doing a lot of outreach on this because it's, it's not necessarily intuitive. You know, how does continuing to buy hybrids or easing up on our policy help with emissions? And taking the time, I think, to explain the connection between mode share um, and also some of the uh, challenges with facility electrification, I think, has been time really well spent. Uh, we're really proud that we've received several letters of support um, for this policy change from groups that, you know, a year or two ago really didn't even want to entertain the idea um, of a policy change. I think there's a general interest in particularly the environmental advocacy community to want to make sure that we continue to charge ahead as quickly as we can, but also a recognition that we need to do so in a way that is practical and, and fundable and, and does not compromise our current service. Um, I'm also grateful uh, for our close partnership uh, with the Department of the Environment on this work um, and really thinking through how this fits into the city's overall climate action plan, which ultimately is our guiding document. Uh, so the today's action before you um, is to amend the zero emission policy. It is to align it with the California Air Resources Board, which is currently targeting uh, 2040. It also would allow us to continue to invest in all forms of zero emissions vehicles, um, which allows us the flexibility to make um, decisions uh, based on different facility constraints and also to learn over time um, and to uh, really integrate zero, zero electrification vehicles into our overall climate change approach and make sure that we are driving forward in a way that is complementary to our ultimate mode sh shift goals um, and doesn't uh, contradict it or, or put it at tension. Thank you. Thank you. Directors, are there questions for Director Kirschbaum before we go to public comment? Director Heminger. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Julie, I actually had a question about the slide you didn't show um, on trolley expansion. Is there a way to bring that up? There it is. Um, and maybe you could just help me reconcile. Uh, you know, we were sort of full of praises for the trolley early in the meeting, and this is considerably more negative. Um, so uh, I, I believe, uh, I don't know whether this is a response in part to the proposal that we saw from the electrical workers, um, but I do want to ask the question anew. Uh, why not, instead of what, what did Jeff say, hauling those two tons of batteries up and down our hills, why not expand the trolley network uh, and achieve the same purpose? Uh, thank you for that question. Um, I'm, 
I, my apologies that this slide came off as negative because we are very enthusiastic about trolleys. And in particular, we are enthusiastic about the evolution of trolleys, which includes in-motion charging. Uh, we are currently uh, testing it on four of our vehicles and will be able to expand it to the entire almost 300 vehicle trolley fleet. What it does is allows us to go five to 10 miles off wire and then recharge within about 45 minutes. So it has a lot of advantages. Um, and we very much believe that trolleys are an important part of our zero emissions future and that we should continue to invest in future generations of trolley vehicles. Um, we are cautiously optimistic that the biggest hurdle that we faced in 2018, we may be able to address, which is we cannot stay vested in trolley vehicles if there isn't a trolley bus to buy. And when we bought the current vehicles, there was one manufacturer, New Flyer. Um, they only agreed to uh, design a trolley bus because we joined Seattle, so we really had buying power. Um, and they said, don't, don't get used to it. This is, this is the last one. Um, under Jeff's leadership, uh, Bob and Katri, who is here, pulled together a trolley consortium of five North American agencies to signal to the manufacturer, we're, we're gonna continue to stay vested in trolleys and even if you're not too interested in any one of us, collectively we start to have some, some decent numbers. Nothing compared to diesel or electric buses, but still you know, something that is, can be cost effective. It's been very successful, and one of the things that we were most excited about during the trolley conference was Solaris, a European bus manufacturer, attending and signaling that they will be entering the US bus market to not only build battery electric buses, but to also build trolley buses and bring all of that European trolley experience to San Francisco. In the short term, trolley expansion has all of the same challenges as the battery electric do because we currently only have two trolley facilities and we're about to close one of them um, for um, a three to four year construction period. We also have a really aging infrastructure. Um, so I'm hesitant to build new wires and new substations when we have substations that are 50 years old and very badly need to be replaced. But what's exciting about the in-motion charging is we don't necessarily need to paper over the city with new wires. We can really take advantage of corridors that already have a portion of wires. So for example, a corridor like the 7 Hate, which has overhead wires on Hate Street and Market Street, but doesn't have them in the sunset, could become a trolley route. So we very much do think that trolleys are part of the future. Uh, they may even be part of our expansion um, past 2030, but they don't have any immediate expansion capability because of our facility constraints. But that's something that over a relatively short time will be remedied, right? Absolutely. Okay. 
Well, I'm glad I asked the question because you, you, you sound more positive than your words, <laughs> at least uh, as I read them. Um, and CARB is on board with this. I mean, they've reached the point where they're willing to say that a trolley, you know, powered by uh, hydro up in the Sierra is zero emission. Yes, they are. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, that's progress. Um, I, I certainly support the policy changes you're proposing today. I, I think we probably, as a city, jumped the gun a little bit um, before we needed to and now have to backtrack a bit. I think CARB has woken up and smelled the coffee. And I very much appreciate the, the context you gave us at the beginning because what, what we're doing here is chasing a vanishingly small source of emissions. Um, if you want a big source of emissions, go talk to the commercial trucking industry. Um, and I recall when we got involved with CARB on this uh, as a region, um, we said, couldn't you go pick on somebody your own size? Uh, because public transit is worried about just opening the doors every morning. Um, but uh, look, they're on the search of all the emissions, not just the small ones and the big ones. So uh, I, I appreciate the fact that they're, uh, I think, making so a reasonable course correction and that we are too. Thank you. Great. Uh, other colleagues, directors, so. Thank you for the presentation. And um, I like to. I'm looking at the slide with all the electrification on the off our uh, properties. And what you mentioned was that um, only maybe one or two, it's, I think it's this one, uh, only one or two are funded. So it's like I'd like to hear a little bit more about how, if it's even, what is the likelihood of like these, there's the right bus for us to buy and we have the money and already built these facility to migrate them to electrifications that these buses needs. Um, I think that's something we are gonna learn uh, more over time. We are going after every grant opportunity. Uh, we did face a pretty significant setback with the GeoBond, um, that would have been a major infusion of resources for our facility program, which is just, in general, a hard program um, to, to fund. Uh, so I, I don't know that I have a sense of, you know, our, what our odds are in, in terms of funding. We are leaving no stone unturned. Uh, we are going after every, every source available to us. Okay. Well, thank you. So, Director Hinsey, any further questions? No questions. I'll just say I'm in alignment with <laughs> Director Heminger on this very supportive of the item. I, I, I understand the previous board um, or attention to be leaders in this area, and I think we are, and I think we as an agency, we are a leader in green bus transportation fleet. Um, and I think we should keep that as our goal. And fortunately, by the timeline outlined in 
the current policy before today's action, I just don't see a path forward in uh, getting facilities uh, that we need for uh, the zero emission vehicles by the timeline outlined in the current policy. So again, very supportive and appreciative of staff bringing this forward. I think it's a practical approach uh, to this um, uh, issue. So thank you. And, and after public comment, I'll be happy to make a motion to approve this item. Thank you, Director Hinsey. Uh, I'd like to open it up for public comment uh, for anyone in the room on this item 12 at this time. Actually, Chair Eakin, I did have uh, Department of Environment staff ah. on the WebEx, um, and I believe they did want to um, share some words. Okay, thank you. Tyrone? Hi there, it's um, Leo Chi. I'm the Deputy Director for um, San Francisco Environment. Uh, Tyrone was unable to make it today, but um, he asked me to attend on his behalf. Um, I wanted to just affirm that the board item that you're hearing does align with the city's sustainability goals and that our department supports the plan being put forward by staff. Um, as quick background for the public, the San Francisco Environment Department is responsible for coordinating the implementation of the 2021 Climate Action Plan, which was unanimously approved by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and signed by Mayor Breed as well. Our goals are codified under Chapter 9 of the Environment Code, and the code calls for net zero emission by 2040. So um, Director Ju and I met with the SFMTA team and support the plan revisions. Um, as emphasized during Julie's presentation, San Francisco does indeed have one of the cleanest municipal fleets in the nation and such a robust public transit system. Um, and as we electrify the transportation and building sectors, um, we do see, and I wanted to confirm, that there is indeed a statewide challenge of improving the electric grid. So. Um, it is really important. We also need to ensure that we are continuing to maximize ridership, and um, that requires us to ensure operational reliability. That's the key thing. So the adjustment proposed um, in the timeline still fits with our overarching climate goals of net zero emissions by 2040, and it accounts for changes in the landscape around implementation and funding. Um, so thanks to the MTA board for letting me speak today. Thank you for that context. It's very helpful. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, go to public comment now. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, board members. My name is Alex Lansberg, Research Advocacy Director with the San Francisco Electrical Construction Industry. Pardon me. I've been talking way too much today. Uh, so for the past few months, I've been appearing before you to speak uh, about the importance of leveraging our existing overhead line network for decarbonizing San Francisco's transit system. So I'm glad to see this monumental policy change before you and want to thank Director Tomlin for his leadership in bringing it about. Uh, while this represents an important turnaround from the plan to eliminate that network a few years ago, there's a lot more work to be done. Uh, simply put, electrifying Muni quickly and economically, I mean, we heard, what, a billion and a half dollars already, uh, will require a creative approach to integrating new technology and leveraging our existing infrastructure. What does this mean in practice? Number one, no new diesel purchases. SFMTA must first analyze how to deploy the dozens, I think we've got over 100 now total, of its unused trolley buses before making a massive capital expenditure on diesel. Uh, two, we need to analyze the high opportunity um, 
uh, trolley bus deployment opportunities that, that we showed in our map, the seven and nine uh, were on there. I think the 38 needs to be incorporated as part of the uh, Geary uh, rapid transit planning to see what we can do there. And we need to revisit the yard redevelopment plans because as we can see, they are actually working against us on these things. Um, so thank you for moving this forward. A couple of things, I know I only have like 30 seconds left uh, on specifically around the adequacy of the grid. I think one of the things, one of the really important things that our study showed uh, is just the much, much more robust energy management and efficiency of the trolley bus network. A good example is um, comparing uh, what they're doing in Geneva versus uh, Columbia. Columbia uh, carries, uh, one line carries six times as many people at half the energy load um, compared to another line in, in Geneva. So I think that that's, Absolutely critical. The second, um, uh, the second one is on manufacturing capacity. I think what we're seeing, I know That's I am about time. to go. What we're seeing is thank other so agencies much. are going to deal with this. Let's have so the they, next speaker. They may jump in okay, thank you so much. Uh, Chair Egan, Director Tumlin, and members of the board. My name is Mark Sawchuk. I'm a Daily Muni writer, and I'm also a member of the community working group that is advising um, Muni on the, the reconfiguration of the Muni metro system. But today we're here to talk about a different form of electric trans transportation, the trolleybus system. I submitted a letter uh, of support for this agenda item, but I feel so strongly about it, I decided I needed to come down here as well today. For almost 90 years, since 1935, San Francisco's trolleybus system, the most extensive in the United States, has combined excellent reliability, superb performance, especially on the city's uh, unique topography and unbeatable environmental credentials. But the 2018 zero emissions policy made what at least to me was always a bewildering decision to plan for a total phase out of the trolleybus network in favor of battery electric buses. While I support these and I support hybrid buses on routes that are not currently wired, they still can't match the unparalleled performance of the tried and true trolleybus. Therefore, I strongly encourage you to support this agenda item, which amends the 2018 policy and explicitly recognizes the trolleybus network's value and future contributions to a 100% zero emissions fleet. Let's not repeat the mistake of the 1950s when the city gave up most of its remaining streetcar lines. We learned then that once transportation infrastructure is gone, we never get it back. And with no shade to the Muni Metro system, about which we've just heard lots about the upgrade plans, the trolleybus system is the crown jewel of the Muni system. Let's treat it as such. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Um, why, does, why did CARB not see the light? And why do they pick on transit agencies to improve? It's the same thing that SFMTA sadly suffers from. It's very hard to say no to cars, but we've got to. Um, the, I'm curious what the trolleybus pricing is in contrast um, to the um, hybrid and the battery electric bus pricing. Maintenance is going to be lower for battery electric buses, and it, trolleys will absolutely be lower as too. I know you have to translate that into maintaining the catenary, but it, it's still gonna be cheaper. 
we need to say no, uh, just to, out of principle in this city. No more diesel. None, none should be purchased. It's just a silly way to spend our, our money. And we do. I, I remember your words, Chair Eakin, uh, about how much is it going to cost to get us what we want, to get us what we deserve. You've said this for active transportation. What does it take to get us this connected network, to get us a safe streets that our city is worthy of what people, any person deserves to have. What is the same thing we need for our transit network? That is what we need to be working towards. What is that number and how do we roll it out? And I'm not saying, you know, just spend it all, but we have to start limiting cars. We have to make it expensive. We have to make it difficult. We have to take the lanes and we have to t charge them and take that money and put it towards transit and active transportation. And I, it's very difficult to hear that we don't have the money or we've got to buy this because it's cheaper and whatever, when I know it's costly in many other ways over the long haul. Please charge the cars and make the transit and active transportation that we need. Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, directors. My name is Cyrus Hall. Uh, I urge you to move forward with the su suggested modifications to Muni's EV policy. I want to highlight a couple of really important changes here that Julie talked about. One is resynchronizing vehicle purchase schedules with capital plans around uh, facility upgrades. Two, synchronizing the vehicle plans of CARB's uh, policies, including CARB's recognition of trolley buses as zero emission vehicles. And three, vitally re-embracing trolley buses as part of the agency's ZEV plans. I really agree with what was said that the environmental North Star and best option for reducing emissions is uh, making sure that we can increase service and keep service stable. And we need to do whatever it takes to make that happen. But I am concerned at the suggested plan to purchase a significant number of new diesel hybrids when we know that hundreds of trolley bus, not hundreds, around 100 trolley buses will be sitting idle because of a lack of space for regular maintenance during the Petrower Yard redevelopment. There had been a plan to provide temporary space to continue the use of these already purchased trolley buses. That space was reallocated in my understanding because it was needed elsewhere. And my question today is rather than buying as large of a new fleet of diesel hybrids as being suggested, can we find space and get those buses back on the road? We already own them. Is there a, a cost-effective plan to make that happen? I would also ask you uh, to reconsider yard redevelopment plans in light of today's policy changes. The Presidio yard, for example, could accommodate modern IMC trolley buses. Uh, yard redevelopment should be done in alignment with comprehensive system electrification analysis that reflects the challenges of BEBs, battery electrics, and the fit-to-function nature of trolley buses. I also want to say I deeply appreciate, I'm looking at this from the outside, it's a very complex topic, and I appreciate staff's dedication and hard work to make these decisions in the most efficient way possible. Thank you very much. Not seeing any other speakers in the room, please go to remote. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Um, thanks again, uh, Chair Amanda Eakin. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, she and her. Uh, I'm simply an ordinary user of Muni and other systems. Um, I do support trolley buses. 
uh, we should not remove one foot of wire. I think that we should consider the expansion of trolley bus network, and that should be a part of our toolbox. Uh, but I don't think that we should buy any more diesel vehicles. Is even renewable diesel uh, does produce particulates, uh, which are impactful, unfortunately, in not so good ways, maybe not as much as straight petroleum diesel, but it does produce particulates. And limited production of renewable diesel, uh, that diesel would be probably better used in the trucking industry or the railroad industry, because they're gonna take a lot more time to transition than what we can do here. It doesn't seem like it's hard to get charging equipment. There's charging stations for cars, light vehicles being built all over the country, some of which have capabilities as high as 350 kilowatts, more than what we would use for a bus. Change is hard, but uh, I practice my values by living in a home that operates on 100% solar energy, electricity, and my home is 100% electric. We have no gas service in here, and I don't want it. 30 seconds. And I take 53 years of using the New York City subway, which runs on electricity. So San Francisco has a very green fleet, but to me, buying diesel buses is like using candles to power for a power failure in your home instead of a flashlight. I choose to look forward. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello. Uh, I'm Gabe Goffin. I'm also regular <laughs> transit writer, and I'm echoing the comments by Alex and Cyrus and other people that, um, yeah, we should really look to avoid uh, diesel purchases, um, because yeah, the operating costs are both will probably be higher and also are unknowable and could be much higher if diesel prices go up exponentially suddenly. Um, we have dozens, as I said, unused trolley buses, and we could really try to use them, um, you know, and we can try to deploy uh, these trolley buses. Uh, like for example, the seven and nine lines are candidates that we could use uh, for bus rapid transit, um, and then also installed, you know, in motion charging. Um, so I think I think there's a way to really focus on avoiding diesel and looking at trolley, you know, continuing trolley buses, um, and looking at you know maybe a different way to redevelop the, the Portrayo uh, yard in the context of emphasizing trolley buses. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would urge uh, SFMTA to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Speaker, you've been on uh, Good afternoon. Good ahead. afternoon. My name is Pete Wilson. I am a trolley bus operator. I'm asking that you do not close Petrero. The crown jewel of our buses are the electric 60-foot trolley buses, like on the 5, the 14, the 30, the 49. Please don't close Petrero. Trolleys charge during the day while they drive, not back at the yard, with huge storage batteries at the yards. Please don't close Petrero. There's a spot behind MME where the plan was all along to put our buses back there. Now we're going to put our buses back there and mothball them. Please don't close Petrero. Many cities like L.A. pulled their tracks out in the 50s. 
we now have another opportunity to notice a lot of people pulled out their wires, like Cambridge just did not so, well, no, excuse me, their wires are still up, but they just got rid of their buses. Don't close Petrero. Renew, uh, renewable diesel, uh, it decreases carbon by 65%. That's still 35% carbon. Don't close Petrero. Petrero is central, yes. Was Julie alluding to getting rid of Presidio? Please don't. We need to expand. We don't need to contract. Please uh, don't close Petrero. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. This is Peter Strauss. Uh, I'm on the board of San Francisco Transit Riders, and I'm speaking. Uh, I can think I can be pretty brief, but I'm urging you to support the uh, staff's recommendation today. Um, this is a very uh, appropriate and necessary course correction to the 2018 policy, which in many ways was short-sighted and inappropriate. Uh, and this is the right step for the agency and the right step for CARB to allow the continued use of trolley coaches at this time. Um, that said, within this policy, I'm very encouraged by the last thing Julie referred to, which was the improved batteries for the trolley coach fleet that will allow the uh, in-motion uh, en route uh, charging and urge the staff to consider the use of uh, trolley coaches with such batteries at the earliest possible time on such lines as the 7 and the 9, which uh, operate mostly under wire today and can be expanded to um, make better use of our trolley coach fleet and electrify them fully that much sooner. Uh, thank you for your time and thank you for your consideration of this. Thank you. Next speaker. This is, this is Herbert Weiner. I strongly support the proposals, but I do think you have to restore the 47 Petraro and three Jackson lines. They are very important trolley lines, and I think the city really misses them. So to enhance trolley service, please restore these lines. They're very important to the public. Thank you. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Okay, we'll close public comment. Uh, Dr. Kirschbaum, I just wonder if you might be willing to address some of the themes that we heard in public comment around the sort of desire for a bright line of no new diesel purchases and the question about whether trolley buses could play more of a role um, in our needs going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we were first planning to move Petrero during construction, we had a peak bus demand of about 630 vehicles, and we didn't have a bus to spare because every other vehicle we were using to do the maintenance that I'm always bragging about. Our current uh, peak demand is just over 500. Um, so we are in a much different situation than we were in 2018. In 2018, our vehicle, our facility program was being anchored by the fact that we were planning to spend about $150 million to move Petrero. This would not be a facility that we owned. It was a port-owned facility, um, and it would be an investment with a very short-term uh, purpose. So I'm very grateful that we've been able to shift 
the plan and take some of those precious dollars and invest them in Kirkland, which we see as the first all-electric facility. I also want to point out that while our current demand is about 510, I very much believe that we are going to need to grow our service as the city recovers, as we come up with stronger financial approaches collectively to get transit back to a thriving state. So I don't think that we can look to the vehicles that we're storing um, as our answer, uh, because they will be back on the road by 2028. The vehicles that I'm talking about purchasing in 2025 and 2026 will have a 12-year lifespan you know, well, well past the kind of two-year bridge. So I do um, enthusiastically support Trolley. It's exciting to see so many San Franciscans really express their love for this unique um, and important mode. Um, but I do believe that some of the advocacy has been significantly oversimplified and does not look at all of the complexities of a um, large-scale trolley expansion. Okay, I think we had a motion. Is that right? Or Director Hinsey, were you gonna make a motion? Oh, Madam Chair, I'd be, ha I'd be happy to, yes. Thank you, is there a second? I will approve Second. Great, please call the roll. On the motion to approve, Director Heminger. Aye. Heminger, aye, Director Henderson. Henderson, aye. Director Hinsey? Aye. Hinsey, aye. Director So? Aye. So aye, Chair Eakin? Aye. Eakin, aye. Thank you. That item is approved and concludes the business before you today. Okay. Thank you, colleagues, staff, members of the public. We are adjourned. Next meetings are November 21st and December 5th.